Before we kick off this week's edition of The Final Word, we want to tell you a little bit about a publication called The Night Watchman. Now, Dan, there's the Wisdom Almanac comes out every April, once a year. There's Wisdom Correct. Cricket Monthly, which we've told you about routinely on The Final Word, of course, comes out once a month. Then there's The Night Watchman, which is the Wisdom Quarterly, and we're offering a fantastic deal at the moment as part of our relationship and friendship with them at Wisdom Towers, where we are offering a 20% discount on the best of the five years of The Night Watchman, which, of course, you've contributed yes, to. I have. And, I and have. a lot of other fantastic writers. There's a, there's a lot of great writers in that one. We've got uh, Tanya Aldred, we've got Emma John. Uh, we've got a lot of authors because uh, The Night Watchman's contributed to by a number of high-profile authors like sort of, uh, Sebastian Folks, for example, yep. Tom Holland. Um, I wrote a piece on dice cricket in there. Uh, I used to play a game of dice cricket, and uh, as I got older... I replaced actual players with um, sort of uh, fantasy teams. I played good Germans against bad Germans. <laughs> Dietrich Bonhoeffer never got Adolf Hitler out. It was really frustrating. Uh, I played prudes against exp- exhibitionists. So uh, there was this terrible, moral, awfully moral woman called Mary Whitehouse, and she was once Court Gilbert, Bold George, the uh, the two famous exhibitionist uh, painters from England and that did actually happen when that happened I can't tell you how delighted I was so I go uh, a great length about dice cricket many of you will have well, what it does it, it gives you a flavour of the type of publication yeah. it is it's where you can get a bit loose a bit footloose and fancy free very uh, loose it doesn't just have the, 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 the conventional cricket writers who you might read in the paper or in the magazines this this goes a bit a bit further so you'll hear from poets musicians uh, other authors, it's historians. It's about enthusiasm. It's it about is. love for the game. And one of, the, one of the beautiful things about The Night Watchman, uh, my, my last take on it, is that the editors give you as much space as you want. Yep. So you literally, you hand in something, and it can be 500 words, it can be a poem of 250 words, or it can be a sort of 8,000-word epic, which is more in kind of Jeff's wheelhouse. Yeah, well, that's right. I'm writing a piece for them at the moment, which I've been labouring on for a while now, about the, the, the skyline of the Oval and how it will change oh. with the... We're, we're losing two of the... the, the guess not the original gasometer that's staying that's heritage listed but the two over the back you can see from the yeah. pavilion they're both gone now as part of a development so that got me thinking and you wouldn't get to write that piece anywhere but the night watchman there's a fantastic piece from jonathan Liu in the five-year edition as well where he recreates what would have happened if the shame war mural really occurred where he <laughs> and jason gillespie go in a time machine so that gives you a bit of a, a bit of a flavor for the night watchman so in terms of how you get your 20 percent discount the night watchman.net and put in the little um, payment bar, TFW20. So the final word, 20, straightforward for a 20% discount, TFW20 at thenightwatchman.net. And you can access a digital edition of the best of the five years. And I'm certain once you've got that little taste test, you'll be a subscriber for life. It's perfect on the coffee table, beautifully made, lots of wonderful f- photography, which, which gets a run as well. And yeah, some different types of cricket writing uh, which people get a lot out of from the Wisdom family. You'll end up wanting to collect them all. I've got a, yes, a shelf me too. That, where, where people have their Wisdoms. I also have Wisdoms of course but I have every single edition of the Night Watchman in my cricket library all numbered, neatly stacked up, colour coded. <laughs> it's beautiful. It's a beautiful product. Pick it up now. The Night Watchman dot net TFW20 onto the show. I had to go about it, write it out and find it myself and there's some stories I can tell you This is the final word with Adam Collins, and as you can probably tell from the, the read about the Night Watchman off the top, 
I'm back in Daniel Norcross's living room in Tooting Beck in South London, and, and what a what a pleasure it is. How are you, Dan? Uh, I'm, I'm labouring with a massive hangover. I went out with the <laughs> with some of the crew. I, I won't I won't name and shame all of them, uh, but I went slightly over the top and um, fell asleep on this very sofa at about one twenty last night. And uh, I've been quite ginger today. Okay, well our preparation may not be quite what it was last week, but alas, given the the, the steel trap that is your mind, I'm sure you'll you'll bounce back and forth as we go. I, I did take note of you when you were saying a couple of days ago. Let, let's have a dinner on on Tuesday night, and I did think to myself, we're recording this podcast on Wednesday morning. We'll see how it all plays out. Meanwhile, I was at a community meeting by stark contrast for my partner's birthday. I took it down to the local Greek restaurant where we talked about matters of civic duty and so forth and how we're going to develop our, our local streets. So an exercise in contrast what we did last night. Greeks, just very briefly on that, I, I had my hair cut yesterday and um, the, the, the hairdresser said to me, yeah, Oh, I've got a whole load of new customers because they don't like uh, going to the guy next door who's a Greek hairdresser. I said, why why not? He says, well, apparently he just keeps talking about politics. (laughs) I said to him, well, he's Greek. He started it. They invented it. (laughs) Give the man a break. (laughs) So much as it was last week when I had Dan with me, we'll have our trip around the cricketing world from South Africa, where we were in Port Elizabeth, and of course now that tour is in Johannesburg, India, where Australia were playing in a three-match ODI series, which concluded a couple of days ago. We'll go back to Washington Sundar's world and our list of banned terms. We've also, and I've buried the lead a bit here, we've got Daniel Christian on the show. Dan Christian um, who of course has uh, been a, a leading advocate for the progress of Indigenous players in the Australian setup. and uh, a fantastic report came out from Cricket Australia before Christmas called uh, the Reconciliation Action Plan Mark 2 and Jeff and I um, caught up with Dan uh, before Jeff went on holiday so we'll, we'll give you that a little bit later in the show and, and thanks again as always for the feedback on, on last week's program. We'll, we'll get into some nerd pledge later on that front but also please Plenty of feedback, Dan, on and our trip through the, the Second World War and how it reflects the, the, the six yeah. months of winter and the six months of, of that conflict between 1939 and 1945. And it would be remiss of me not to ask you, where are we up to in World War Two this week? Well, it's, of course, it's the 22nd of January, and so we are right into the meat of it. We're in 1943. Uh, eight o'clock last night, <laughs> the British launched Operation Mincemeat. Um, you'll all, I'm sure, be very familiar with it. Uh, Operation Mincemeat was when they released a corpse dressed as a British officer carrying falsified war plans off the coast of Spain. These planes, plans indicated that the Allies were going to attack Greece and Sardinia, not Sicily. So we're at the point almost uh, where the mm. Allies are now you know, going to go up through Italy. Um, terrific news in North Africa. That's pretty much done and dusted. Um, just about now, actually, as it's coming up to 2 o'clock, yes, that's May the 7th. And uh, this is a day after destroying Germany's 15th Panzer Division. The Allies have scored a major victory with the fall of the Tunisian capital of Tunis. I'm delighted to report. 250,000 Axis soldiers uh, are about to surrender in the coming days. And, um, and then, of course, it's going to be the campaign to, to take back Italy, which is uh, coming up in the next sort of oh, two days in our terms over the course of the next month of the war. So, you know, we really are making huge progress, Steady towards, progress. towards getting through this winter. The, 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 the re-invasion, if you like, of Europe isn't far away. Then we're, oh. we're, then we're, we're, then we're downhill, if you like, towards the start of the, yep. the England season and, and victory in Europe and victory in Just Japan. Just a little note, though, because a lot of people do forget the, the Far East campaign. Um, my father, right now... In the war, is in Burma, and uh, he's suffering heavy losses at the hands of the Japanese, who are still being pretty plucky out there. So, you know, that's what you get in January the 22nd. You get, like, good moments. Um, It's a little bit lighter. 
for a little bit longer. But you also get bad moments. It's cold, it's miserable, it's dark, and there's still no first-class cricket for another, well, in this case, two and a half years. Even though I'll have Jeff back next week, we're going to revisit this as we work through the next couple of months on the final word. I neglected to mention off the top down, we'll also talk about uh, the Women's World T20. Not our full preview, that'll come up in a couple of weeks, but we have heard from the Australian camp and the England camp during the week. Let's start um, for today uh, in in India, so where we left the show last week. Australia had, had won by 10 wickets uh, at the... At the Wankadee Stadium, the, the work, rest work and play, play stadium. Yeah. Um, and uh, Stephen Smith uh, went to Rajkot and made 98 in a failed chase. It was good to see, see uh, Smith back. He, he failed to make a century. It, it reminded me, it's been, it, it's been quite a long time since Smith made a, an international tunnel. It was since uh, his double at Manchester uh, in August, it would have been. It's, it's when he's not required, isn't it? Yeah. He's one of these guys who turns up when required. It's a pretty good attribute to have. Isn't <laughs> it? I mean, it, it sort of reminds me a little bit of... Am I allowed to say this, or is this is this heresy? Victor Trumper. They always used to say about Victor Trumper that he, he only really scored runs on dodgy wickets when the rest of his teammates were going to mm. struggle. Uh, the rest of the time, it was a flat deck. He'd, he'd get an attractive 40 and sort of lob a catch-up so that a younger player could come and establish himself. Because, of course, he was a saint. Victor Trumper, the greatest human being ever to have lived, uh, if you believe Australians. But I, I sort of on this occasion do. Uh, and Smith is kind of in that sort of bracket isn't he I mean not not the saintliness so much as you know when Australia really need him he's going to go out and get the runs he hasn't been needed because Manus Labashain and or Labashkachne we did that last week mm. and David Warner uh, they were scoring huge numbers of runs this summer so by the time Smith came in it was almost like he didn't have he wasn't sort of on his game because he, he mm. didn't have something that he had to play for uh, and you know, that's about as good an attribute as you'd want out of a cricketer, isn't it? Yeah, I was being slightly flippant when I talked about him not reaching three figures because, of course, he did so in, in the mm. third uh, one day international. When they did need him. When they, when they did need him. around him. Well, well, they needed him in that in that chase as well. He fell a couple of runs short. Maybe the comparison there's Clem Hill, of course, who made it. Was it 390... 99, 98, 97 in a row or something like that. Yeah, uh, Back around right. the, the turn of the century. Anyway, moving on. Uh, so that, that second one day, uh, India pulled level. Uh, Kuldeep Yadav bowled beautifully. The new uh, Seema Saini as well was really good when it mattered. Shami, Boomerah, the usual suspects. Uh, so Australia uh, weren't able to capitalise on their on their big win. So they moved to Bangalore for the decider. Not not that anyone's going to be talking about this series in more than a couple of weeks from now. But or, it is, or a couple of days. Or a couple of days. I mean, I'm surprised we've devoted a whole two minutes to it. We won't go much further than to simply say that Rohit Sharma and Virat Kohli did as Rohit Sharma and Virat Kohli tend to do in big games. Uh, look, Australia for a moment looked like they were going to squeeze them with the slower bowlers. Ashton Agar and Adam Zampa were bowling beautifully. Josh Hazelwood as well, I should add, who, uh, who, who bowled a brilliant first spell at the back of the power play when, when Cummins and, and Stark were taking some tap. And yeah, it I guess for mine, one of the major questions out of that um, was, why was Cummins there? A series that doesn't mean an awful lot. He's the, as they describe him, their thoroughbred. Um, why would you risk him? Why would you fly him all the way there for three games in five days when it, frankly, doesn't matter in the slightest? I mean, this is the, the classic series where Cummins could have taken a breather, yeah. isn't it? I mean, it's, we're right at the beginning of a World Cup cycle. Mm. So you would have imagined that they would wrap him in cotton wool because he has had injury problems in the past and he's currently the best bowler in the world. And he's so, just played six test matches. He's exactly. Just been, well, no, five, rather, yeah. Yeah. So, so exactly why are they doing this? I don't know. I wonder... I mean, this is pure speculation, and I just wonder if uh, the big tag attached to him with the IPL, if the BCCI sort of 
wanted him to come. No, you're saying that some I, implicit I'm, pressure well, might have been applied by I'm, the, I'm, I'm the BCCI, Daniel Norcross. I don't, I mean, look, I'm, You'll lose your accreditation <laughs> everywhere for saying such a thing. Well, I, I mean, I think they might have done it in the nicest possible way. I mean, <laughs> they, they might have just said, uh, Cricket Australia, uh, we, we notice you have this splendid bowl of Pat Cummins. People of India would very much like to see him, any chance he might be playing. It might have been something as blind as that. Or I could be just making that up entirely. We, we don't know. It does seem... I mean, for a start, it seems crazy that the series took place at all, that Australia's uh, signature domestic tournament, the Big Bash, is happening at the same time, and some of their best players, you know, Aaron Finch, for heaven's sake, is going out and playing this rather than playing for his admittedly woeful renegades. Uh, it, Pat Cummins being another great example of this. You just think, why did this three-match series take place when it did? Well, they would have been playing. What was it worth? Yeah, and I I suppose had the schedule been different, they would have played one day international cricket in this window at home anyway. But yeah, it's a quirky one. I'm sure um, it'll never happen again. I'd be surprised if this ever would have play out in, in the same way that it has. I mean, the main thing for Mitchell Stark, I mean, let's forget about how he bowled. It'll it'll be known as the series where Mitchell Stark came in as, as the pinch hitter at number five and um, yep. turned the clock back to, uh, a lot of people remember Shane Warne walking out as a pinch hitter in the in the World Cup well, quarterfinal. Well, I think it's a great idea that's, that's not used enough, actually. And uh, it's mentioned, <laughs> dare, dare I say it yet again, we don't need to give them that much more publicity, but Freddie Wilde and Tim Wigmore's excellent book, Cricket yep. 2.0, has uh, a number of suggestions for what we might see more of in the future. And they point out, you know, the Sun El Narayan experiment up the top of the order in T20. Uh, we don't see as much of that in one day in 50-over cricket. And you sort of wonder why, because actually, once the, the first two wickets say, let's say, you know, you, you've lost your third wicket in the 31st over, then why aren't you actually employing a big-hitting number eight, number nine, because it's not going to disbenefit if he gets out from normal. No, that's right. It's, yeah. it's the amount yeah. of balls that he you faces compared the to... the next guy comes in, you know. Yeah. As long as he's, he's going in there just to tee off. I think we might see more of that. I mean, it didn't work, did it? Well, what it did suggest. it during to focus the Maxwell omission, which, again, yes. I, everyone's kind of forgetting that the reason Maxwell didn't go wasn't just on his poor form in the World Cup. He just came off a pretty long layoff uh, mm. Maybe he was out of the game for four or five weeks when he had a you know, well-documented spell on the basis of tending to his mental health. So I'm not sure whether it would have been the right thing for Maxwell to go anyway. He's far better off um, plundering runs in, in the big bash. But as often it is when a, when a player doesn't go on a tour, with distance, the heart grows fonder and so mm. forth. So I'm sure that Maxwell will be on the next Australian tour, which happens to be to South Africa. So everyone's forgotten that it's not just one weird uh, limited-overs tour that Australia has signed up to uh, this summer, that there's one coming up to South Africa, which clashes with the Women's World T20. I think it starts on the 23rd of February, something like that. And then they finish off their home summer, would you believe, against New Zealand in some white ball games at the middle of March. Now you see, it's, it's an weird, odd, isn't odd it? schedule. Odd, for, for once, the, the England schedule looks looks better to me. Um, they, they haven't played a single one-day international since the World Cup final. Mm. They're going to play three of them against South Africa coming up in February. Then they're going to play three T20s. So their white ball commitments in this winter will have been a five-match T20 series against New Zealand and then a three-and-three three mm-hmm. against South Africa. So they're playing eight T20s in a year of a T20 World Cup. Then they're not playing another one day. When they go to Sri Lanka, they're not playing a one-day international. So they're, they're not really doing 50-over cricket. They will have gone the best part of a year having played three one-day internationals, but they will have played a lot more T20, which, I mean, it makes sense, doesn't it? As more and more people start to cut their their cloth according to the cycle of world events, you would think that we'll see a bit more of that. Yeah, th- that's right. And Australia are going to play a lot of T20 cricket this year, whereas 
in previous series, you might have seen four or five one days followed by a T20 on the back. Even when Australia comes to England for that series, it's taking place for reasons best known to administrators. In the middle of this year, they're playing three one days and three T20s. The previous time they visited for a series like this two years ago, it was the five one days and and the one T20 tacked on the end. So I guess there's an improvement in that respect. One last uh, thing from the from the uh, from the one day series. I really enjoyed how the Chinnaswamy Stadium, my, one of my favourite grounds in the world at Bangalore, and um, with the old light towers which are reminiscent to VFL Park for those who are listening who have an interest in in football in Australia they were chanting this RCB RCB the whole night when Coley was batting which probably says a bit about where loyalties lie um, given what part of the year we're in I mean the IPL's around the corner so well it's wonderful isn't it actually there's a lot of naysayers who don't like these kind of things but once you've got to a point where these teams mean something then it actually makes these leagues a lot more fun I mean we, we a lot of people dismissed the IPL when it first started they said you know, Chennai Super Kings, they're named after a cigarette brand. Who are they? You know, the rising Pune Super Giants. What kind and of then Super Giants. Remember, they, they, they went from the Super Giants, Giants right. to the Super yeah. Giants. So. Uh, but now, I mean, it's actually, it's, people are starting to have affinities with their sides. And I see it also in a big bash. When I was in Australia two years ago, mm. uh, I remember chatting to a steward for a while. And um, he was just furious because we were watching Jason Roy score loads of runs in 50 over cricket. And he was complaining that he'd scored none for... I can't remember he's playing for the Stars or the, the Red Sixers, was it, or the Thunder? I think it was one it of was, the Sydney it was some, yeah. yeah, it was somebody. Uh, but he was going, yeah, it's bloody typical. You know, he goes, when he puts on <laughs> England's shirt, he scores loads of runs. He can't do any for my team. And I thought this was actually a really positive development that people are identifying yep. with their T20 franchise, a T20 team. And once that happens more and more, then, you know, it's going to, it, it just makes the tournament so much more edgy and fun, doesn't it? Yeah, and we'll touch on the big bash and the pointy end of that uh, tournament next week when we have Jeff back on the show. Uh, you mentioned England's Tourist Africa, which will turn into a, a white ball fest. I think they're playing six games against each other in, uh, in the 50 and 20 over formats later in February. But for now, we have one more test match at Johannesburg. Mm-hmm. But before we go there, um, last week, another fantastic performance from this young England side. It was their 500th test away from home. Their 150th win away from home. Their first away from England by an innings since January 2011, of course, at the Sydney Cricket Ground where they confirmed that they'd won the Ashes, not just retained them, but they, they defeated Australia in a series, um, which was a pretty big deal at the time. But... um. Yeah, I mean, look, it's going to be, no doubt, a series that we talk about, I think, Dan, for a while on the basis of these young players who are suddenly making themselves match winners with Ollie Pope and Don Bess adding themselves to that list last week at Port Elizabeth. Well, we've seen finally the first of Ollie Pope's 38 Test 100s. <laughs> um, really Didn't you love that when he, brought up, when he brought up the ton? How everyone had the identical tweet, which yeah. was um, first of many or a variant on that. <laughs> exactly. But it's because of the evidence in front of your eyes. It's sure. one of these rare things that occur. Uh, when you watch any sport actually but when you see somebody who you just know is so suited to the environment that they're playing in um, I've seen a lot of Ollie Pope I've been very fortunate because the Oval's just around the corner from me and he started playing I'm, I want to say 2017 back end of 2017 got a few games in and he said at the time you know I, I was surprised to be in the side and I just thought to myself I've just got to get enough runs to get picked to the next game so we've got a deep and strong squad and had plenty of established players he got in because of a combination of injuries England call-ups and then the following year 2018 he averaged well over 60 in first class cricket played every game as Surrey won the title I got to see him a few times saw him against Yorkshire when he came in and Surrey were tottering a bit I want to say a similar situation actually to the, the last test at Port Elizabeth it was about 140 odd for four and he was batting with an established batsman I can't remember who it was might have been Rory Burns 
and uh, he just gently went through the gears and ended up getting 160 in front of Root and Bearstow and good good people to do it in front of. Sure. And the last sort of 60 runs, he's batting with the tail. He went absolutely berserk. You got to see all the different shots he's got, but it's his shot selection is so brilliant. You know, he plays the moment. He doesn't suddenly feel the need to unveil a switch hit when he's on 35 to prove he can do it. You know, he waits until there's seven, eight wickets down before those two ridiculous shots off like mm. Rabada and Norkio bowling at 90 miles an hour. And he's doing these absurd flicks over the top of the vacant second slip region or fine leg. And it's just beautiful. It's beautiful to watch somebody being that good. It's a little bit like, you know, you had a similar experience watching Marnus this sure. summer. Mm where you just think oh crikey yeah he's a, he's a test cricketer and he's going to be around for a long time and barring some really terrible misfortunes we'll see a lot of Ollie Pope I mean, he was one of four players for England under the age of 25 who either got 100 or taken five wickets in this series Bess Archer and Sibley being the others mm. and it, it's typical of sport isn't it that about I want to say three weeks ago English cricket was in disarray. They're having to bring in the youngsters when they're not ready. They haven't learnt enough from county cricket. They're having to learn on the job. And uh, now suddenly they're like, you know, the Busby Bays or the Fergie Fledglings. Suddenly the, the future of English cricket is rosy. I mean, it's somewhere in between that because we've got to be uh, honest. South Africa, despite winning the first test really well, were an absolute shambles in the last game. They, they'd shown a little bit of fight at Cape Town they made a really ex interesting test and took it right down to the wire but this time with so much rain around I mean it absolutely hosed it down about an hour and a half after they lost the game mm. and, that all and they, they lost so do, much time from the test already they lost so much already and, and you know I mean they lost four wickets for one run in 20 minutes on the fourth morning um, they had four wickets in hand they lost two of them really limply on the last morning you know somewhere in there they should have been able with that much weather around as they say to have, to have got out of that with a draw but you know fair play to England and it's great to see Mark Wood back bowling really fast there'll be huge selection issue coming up for the Joe Berg test are they going to pick a spinner um, will they bring Archer in for the spinner or will they not bring Archer in at all or will they bring Archer in for you'd have to say current I mean it'd be a big surprise if Broad doesn't play he's leading wicket taker in the series for England so uh, that it would be, I really personally would love to see Archer and Wood bowl together on a fast pitch because as an Englishman I've had fleeting glimpses of fast bowling heroes I remember David Lawrence Devon Malcolm um, I'm trying to think Jeff Thomas was a guy who we thought was going to be the next great fast bowling hope from Glamorgan and uh, th they sort of performed patchily and never together so the idea of there being two express pace men playing for England in one game it would be a nice portent of what might happen in the Ashes in a couple of years' time. Yeah, and looking at the track for some photos overnight, they, they might be tempted to do look just that. It? it does. And look, mm. you've, you've, you've summed up the Ollie Pope story quite well for those who haven't watched him play much cricket. Of course, he did debut for England back in, in 2018. He probably would have played in the Ashes. A lot of people, uh, a lot of Australian fans ask, where was he um, last year when England were so meek with the bat so often? Well, he, he did his shoulder in that one-day cup game against yeah. Essex, which I was at probably in April really early in the season April, May yeah, end of, it was the end of April end of April yeah. so that's why he missed the majority of the season came back made a double ton and then guaranteed that he would um, be on, on this trip I suppose average is 61 in first class cricket right which is the highest average by an Englishman after 36 first class games and yeah. you may think well why is that relevant to average 61 as an Englishman is very difficult because you think about 
the pitches they play on, the times of year they mm. play, and the Asia coming in against a lot of experienced old professionals. It's it's you don't do that unless you're special. Well, indeed, he's got the highest average of any Englishman who's played 36 first class games. Yeah, speaking of special, we just we just brushed over the fact that Stokes made another uh, crucial. Mm. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> another crucial hundred. I, I say crucial, like the, the foundation had been laid. Joe Denley made another yeah. um, cow and tunners for. Dushan Hantaraja, uh, foreshadowed before the test, he was writing about Dan Lee and his ability to get to 100 balls, but it was the 100 runs that was was was, uh, was eluding him. And, and sure enough, on exactly 100 balls, uh, Dan Lee uh, met his maker in in the first innings. But um, Stokes walks out and um, and plays the, the way that we we know that he does best, which is in difficult periods of time and batted for a long time before he really unloaded uh, on. He's morning, a batsman now, isn't he? I mean, two, the, wasn't it? There was a time I think, I think we all thought he was a, an all rounder and. He's got to that moment in his career. It reminds me a little bit of Botham in 1982 when he went from being a fast bowling all-rounder into actually being a middle-order batsman. Yeah. He was pushed up to number five. And for England, that's it's perfect because they know in extremists they can chuck a ball to him for a mad eight-over spell as his face gets redder and redder and he looks more and more possessed by demons. But for the most part, his role in the side is to be that number five. Yeah, and, and it was both a mess, really, when he, when he came on and took a wicket with his 10th ball after not getting mm. used for the first 60 overs of South Africa's first innings. I mean, we, you know, what was the thing with both of them? Who writes his scripts? I mean, there's a little bit of that with Stokes at the moment. Um, Pope, I'll just finish off by saying that there have been um, discussions, uh, well, an argument forwarded by the former England captain Michael Vaughan that he should be looking at being elevated now and whether they should recalibrate the, the top six to enable uh, um, Tom Banton to come into the side. I mean, I don't think that's going to happen, but it is interesting that it hasn't taken long before um, those outside the camp, I suppose, are looking at how they can add something to the mix that yeah, you often see in a really strong test team which is someone coming in at number six who can who can go like the clappers and we know of course that Banton can but it, that seems like it's a premature thought but I'm sure it won't be long if, if Pope bats the way that he has um, in, in the last you know f- few test matches that they'll be looking at elevating him and there might be room in that top six especially now that, that Butler has some work to do even to retain his spot and that's probably more of a talking yeah. point rather than Banton it's Butler isn't it because when Butler came into the England setup a couple of years ago or back into the England test setup a couple of years ago and look where neither of us are impartial here. We both, you know, no. love Joss and all the rest of it and have uh, been huge supporters of his, but um, his performance at Port Elizabeth, uh, it, it, I suppose what we're seeing from him, a little bit, as I mentioned, what we talked about um, before with Steve Smith, Butler performs best when the acid's on, uh, historically. Yeah. He's, his best performances for England have been usually when the circumstances have been tough and, and um, walking out at five for a squillion uh, after Stokes and Pope had, had finished their long occupation together. You expect someone like Butler then to fully capitalise, and he should have. I'm not making excuses, but historically... And Maxwell, Maxwell's another, by the way. You, you think about Maxwell, and you're like, well, he's the he's the golden ticket. You bring him in to punch the bruise, when often it's been for him at red ball level anyway that he's done his best work when it's been another kind of innings that's been required. Well, I think there's a very good reason for it in the case of Butler. It's Because if you look at him, he's got so many different shot options and so many different ideas going on in his head. When his mind is clear as to what needs to be done, he's talked about this in a way already. He's talked about how he likes chasing in in one-day games because he knows exactly what needs to be done. He can break down the innings into into chunks, into what he's going to try to achieve and get the side to by, you know, by which particular landmark over... And we saw him do it incredibly against Australia at Old Trafford yep. in a one-day game that didn't remotely matter. But 
ignorant. But still, desperate. they were nine, 90 for seven at the yeah, time. And Billy Stanlake had, you know, they run wanted, amok. They wanted the, the whitewash really badly. Yeah, they yeah, wanted yeah. it. It was in the year before the World Cup. And uh, they'd played a really bad game. Stanlake had bowled really well. And he suddenly went into a different kind of mode, did Butler. And he just saw what needed to be done. He saw they needed 120 odd runs in 20 odd overs. And he just broke it down and methodically got there with support from Adil Rashid got over the line what I sort of saw in his in this series is when he's come in and he's assessed the situation so he did so in the first test match you'll recall he suddenly leapt outside off stump and was really aggressive with the old ball mm. uh, figuring this was the moment that he had to make hay and he did he got, got a quick 29 before getting out and it was as if he'd sort of like assessed the condition, assessed the situation and knew precisely what he was going to try to achieve. When he came in at 3.51 for five, it was like, right, well, I, could, well, I suppose I could ramp, I could flick, I can monster down the ground. Um, and what's he ended up doing? Chipping a tame return catch to Maharaj because there's nothing on it. He knows his side are in a really strong position. He knows that there's uh, Ollie Pope there. He knows that there's still Curran and uh, Best to come. And, you know, Mark Wood... Mark Wood ended up scoring five sixes that innings. We should briefly digress and point out that that's more than Virat Kohli, Steve Smith, Don Bradman has ever achieved in a single <laughs> innings. Quite bizarre. But do you know what I mean? So, so because it almost felt like the pressure wasn't on, Joss Butler didn't click into mode, into sort of like, you know, game mode. Yeah. Um, it's a problem for him, though, because as England's next series is in South uh, Sri Lanka, there's going to be a lot of standing up to the stumps. He's keeping... It wasn't shabby, but it wasn't... There was one moment, wasn't there? There was a moment on that that fifth morning where he conceded four buys and it just felt like at the end of a bad week for him, having not made runs, that that just stings. It's one ball, it's one incident, it's one episode, but the the momentum for Ben Folks, well, the the support of Ben Ben Folks, rather, will will be there, given that the last time England went to Sri Lanka, it was Folks who debuted 100... Uh, at the first time of asking, kept magnificently and was player of the series. So whether they keep Butler and, and consider whether he can play as a specialist bat again, which he's done, you know, the majority but where does of the time. He fit, you see, I mean, yeah, it's hard. Your yeah. problem then comes, doesn't it, that England have now alighted upon a method which they like, which is these top three, basically yep. having three openers in the top three, and then chewing up as many balls as possible. Who knew that this was a good way of getting big <laughs> first innings runs? Like you know, having been on the receiving end of it for 150 years, you think they might have spotted it, but. Uh, Anyway, they've now got this method. If you do that, Pope doesn't go to number three immediately. I mean, Ian Bell got years down at numbers five and six before he was mm. uh, up the order. England are happy with this method. If Root's at four and Stokes is at five, then where does Butler go if he's not the the keeper? Because you've got to have a number seven and then you've got your four bowlers. So, I mean, th- there isn't... And, and all this presupposes, by the way, that Joe Denley gets moved on at some point sooner rather than later. And I think that'd be cruel, almost, given the, the spade work that he's done. Yeah, I think he should be. Yeah. I mean, you know, look for, from his perspective, of course, he's people are going to well, rather the, the column with average in it isn't going to be impressive. I don't know what he averages at test level, but no, what it is, it's not going to have a four in front of it, and he yeah. hasn't got a, an entry in the hundred column. So that, that's going to affect the way that he's evaluated in time. It it's always comes down to this, whether it should or shouldn't. But he, he's playing a role. He, he's uh, he's helping develop a base alongside the young openers, which is giving England a chance. Well, England didn't lose their second or third wicket until, you know, well after tea. Now, England, England for the first time since 2011, batted through the first session of a test match without losing a wicket. Yeah, right. Uh, and on that occasion, there were only 26 overs bowled. Uh, they batted for 
28 overs or something like that without losing a wicket then at T they were like 117 for two mm. this it didn't look great but South Africa's bowlers were weary it was a hot day by the time he got after T the groundwork had been made and that this happens in test cricket all the time it's just that it hasn't been England's game plan until now right let's skip through a couple of uh, questions that come out of this test before we move on so mindful we shouldn't talk about England the whole time no we should not uh, otherwise um, some people will be switching off uh, one the, the Joe Root um, how he was dismissed um, uh, by Kaisa Rabada and, and the celebration that ensued it means that Rabada won't be available for this test match having accumulated four demerit points over the last couple of years look he was lucky not to have enjoyed this if you like so to speak a suspension back in 2018 uh, when he had his um, points overturned by a bit of a kangaroo court type setup in uh, before the, the infamous Cape Town Test match so he, he's really experiencing a, 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 a where do you um, stand on it I mean I'd I, well, I, I was just going to. I, I genuinely. It depends what angle you look at it on. It's, it's like a lot of these things, isn't it? You, you watch it from the front on camera, and it looks like he runs straight at Joe Root and carries on in a way that probably would pick up a point. But does the match official then need to apply a bit of common sense and appreciate what that means? If it's a line ball decision, should that be part of the conversation at all? Like, I'm not issuing a sort of a, a strong view either way. I guess I'm sitting on the fence on this. But if you look at it side on, it looks fine. You look at it front on, it looks less fine. Yeah. Um, it, but he said himself, Rabada, that it, it's, a, it's a message to him, a reminder to him that he needs to keep his cool because he is carrying this this uh, reputation around with him uh, having done this plenty of times well, it's, it's not his it's first impressive, time isn't it I mean given given how few test matches South Africa play yeah. <laughs> he's able, he racks them up yeah, he's yeah, able yeah. to get this many demerit points I, I, I don't go with the argument that test cricket shooting itself in the foot because it's denuding itself of one of its star attractions in a deciding game I don't think, you know, you can't bring that into the equation. You can't say, I'm not going to give him a demerit point because the next game's really important because the, the rules are there to be followed. But at the same time, did he actually transgress? And when I saw it, like, he didn't look at Joe Root, did he? He ran down. Uh, he was right next to him, which was unfortunate, I guess. But he wasn't, he didn't use any physical contact. And uh, I just kind of thought, are we, are we reading something into something? Is, it, is there something unpleasant about the sight of it that is what's caused somebody to get involved here, the match referee, mm. because it looked ugly, but it wasn't actually directed I didn't think really. No, no, really. it's just, it just, it's, just where, it's where Root's standing, isn't yeah, it? It's he, where, he ought it's, to know by now, as you say, I mean he's done it so many times, so I'm completely torn um, and I think we ended up having to spend too much time thinking about it yep, certainly. I mean, and in the context, got to remember the context He's just got out England's captain on a hot day after tea, putting yep. in 148 for four on a flat day. He's probably incredibly frustrated because he wasn't given the new ball. And he's really frustrated because the groundsman has prepared an absolute snot heap for, his, <laughs> for, for an attack which has got fast bowlers in yeah. it. It's ridiculous. So one side of the ledger, you've got the, the troubles of South Africa, which um, <laughs> which include Faf Plessis, who's been the focus of a lot of attention in the last couple of days. So it, it appears as though... Uh, he hasn't said it in as many words, but this will be his final year of international cricket. He's not sort of shying away from the fact that with only a couple of test matches that they play uh, this year after this series in the West Indies, he's no longer the one-day captain. 
there's a T20 World Cup coming up in October, which he'll lead them to, and he's, he's committed to that. But beyond that, it feels as though at age 35, Duplessis is, is winding down at, at a time where South African cricket, I mean, I can't really think of a time when, when they've been weaker than they have been in the last 12 months. You, you consider, you go all the way back to that Sri Lanka series uh, 12 months ago, and then, of course, the terrible effort at the World Cup and um, losing as they have in recent times. And now, most like, well, the, the best they can get out of this series is now a draw at home against a, well, an English side that arrived. Pack, the Colpack 11 that was, was put out on Twitter the other day. No, be very uh, strong. Very strong. I mean, if I, let's just briefly. Riley Rousseau. Oh, just the bowlers. Really. Bowl, Kyle Abbott. The bowlers. A- Abbott. Olivia, yeah, um, Simon Harmer, soon to be Philander, Simon Harmer. Yep. Uh, there's another one in there, another quickie as well. That uh, Morkel, oh, of course, Morkel. yeah, yeah, yeah. Then you've got, as you say, Riley Rousseau. They could do with a bit of him. Hashim Amla, mm. could do with a bit of him. Um, I think Van Sale got it there. Dane Villas, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, there's some 125,000 pound man from the yeah. uh, from the uh, hundred. Yes, <laughs> but there's some serious cricketers in there, and. I don't know. I, I genuinely don't know what's going to happen with the uh, Brexit. You weren't expecting that to come up, were you? But, um, because <laughs> this it does have a knock-on effect. That it does. It? It's, yeah. it's part of an EU EU ruling, of course, uh, the coal pack business. So uh, I don't know what the future will hold with that. Maybe it'll mean that fewer South Africans get to take advantage of that. Well, they need to be overseas players rather than coal packs in that scenario. So. Exactly, which then takes them back to square one, and then they could. I mean, I mean the. the the other interesting thing to come out of it is um, will Simon Harmer tour India for England next year? Uh, because, you know, th- that's also a possibility. And that he, would really be a massive he, kick in the I didn't realise he's eligible for that. Well, that be fair, be, I think he's eligible from November. Right, OK. All right, we're going to skip through a couple more things here, otherwise we'll get really bogged down. We didn't mention Don Best. He was on, on track for a, a Jim Lake. I would just say that simply that mm. what a great story that is. He was playing second 11 cricket for Somerset a, a couple of years ago, not long after his test debut. Uh, and now, he, look, when I interviewed his coach a couple of weeks ago, it was pretty clear that um, he probably won't be playing at the start of the county championship season with Jack Leach fit and available but tell you what he's taken his chance he's guaranteed that we'll see a lot more of him um Joe Root picked up four wickets with his off-spin as well, I should add. And Root, after play uh, on the final day, was copying an absolute pasting for having attempted to get the fifth wicket. And yes, South Africa added 99 for the final wicket. And yes, it looks sort of pretty ugly, but, you know, they just did win by an innings and, and Root picked up four wickets in, in the second dig. When, when the game was out of one, the changes he made in, in the field were, were excellent as well. Once I think again, he's got to be epically joyless. Yeah. To not, f- not to think that he had... An- if, if he's not allowed to bowl himself, but there, it but, yeah, then. but does it? And, and, and he probably did overbowl himself, and that's kind of yeah, like, yeah. it's more that like, yeah, one by an innings, and I think Dave Tickner put it best on Twitter. They found a way to lose the, to win the wrong way. Yeah, you know. Anyway, that's. Uh, um, but Root did say more more. Uh, more instructively that he sees this as a team that could go to number one in the world. I mean, look, it's a long, long way to go. They're still fifth at the moment. How much that matters now with the World Test Championship, they're into third place on that measure. I mean, there is, I guess, some similarities between this side and the 2009 England team in that um, at the end of 2009 when they were getting pantsed in, in the West Indies and they kind of had to start again with a, a new generation. Well, well, I guess they've got their new generation here. We, we've seen them play in the last couple of weeks. So whether that's enough... It's a bit enough, early to say, though, isn't it? Whether yeah, whether exactly. Burns, Burns, Sibley, Crawley, Denley, three of those four, are, are going to be, you know, Strauss, Cook, Trot. No, absolutely. Because, yeah. because that's what made that England sure. double one side, really. Strauss, Cook, Trot, and then having Graham Swan as an attacking off spin option. You know, Don Bess has got 
Um, amazing, didn't say simply the best. Um, <laughs> and I, I know there were loads and loads of writers desperate for a six wicket, so it could be six of the best. <laughs> but um, neither of which happened. But uh, do you know, I mean, he's he's still he he got a good five wickets against a poor South African team, and I wish him all the very best. And I'm sure over the course of the next few years, he's going to get better. But. Joe Root's got to say that his aspirations are for England to be number one. It'd be weird if he didn't. But they're nowhere near it yet. And they're about to lose, I say about to, but over the course of the next couple of years, Broad and Anderson are going to go. Um, They do have other fast bowlers, but we've seen some of them are prone to injury. Joffre Archer's playing all three forms, which is putting strain on his body. Mark Wood hasn't played back-to-back test matches in yonks. So, you know, it's a lot of excitement very early about a side that's just had some very good performances from some very young players. And we'll probably see Archer back in Johannesburg this week. I'd, I'd leave it there. So. Oh, and one just little World Test Championship point. This is kind of why we want, we should, yeah. we should have had three teams qualify for the, the finals or four, but probably three more realistically. How, how would you do that? I mean, well, I, just you'd have the top way, team, you'd have the top team, you know, make the make it and not the have final. to play a qualifier yeah. and then second place third because we, we kind of know that Australia and India are making that. It would take a lot. Mm. It would take a lot and we're a long, long way from the finish line um, for given the way these series are, are carved up um, for them not to end up being the, the final two teams. But anyway, that's that's a, a conversation for another time. Enough earnest cricket chat, Dan. Enough yeah, yeah. of us going through the, these test matches and these one-day internationals and, and who should be in sides and who's making runs and taking wickets. Let's go instead to a little bit of Nerd Pledge. Yay! The game where we, on the final word, take your patron contributions and turn it into, well, a game that amuses us and seemingly amuses you as well, given the volume of people who've kindly uh, played along over the last 12 months or so. We've got um, three newbies uh, to deal with today. But first of all, I'm going to go back um, because we've got quite a bit of correspondence during the week and some ripping tweets and emails and so forth um, on our um, on our Twitter accounts and on the Patreon page and um, where people have corrected us. And, and rightly so. If, if we don't get your number right, we, we want you to come back to us and, and give us another clue or to correct us or, or whatever it is. So um, let's start with a message we got this morning from Nairon Clunas. I know it's, uh, it's not great, s- strictly speaking from uh, the great uh, Dulwich number seven, but uh, the artist known as Nairon Clunas for, for the purpose of Nerd Pledge. 231 was the number we were deliberating over last week. Of course, Dudley Norse, um, Mancad, Hammond, Ian Chappell all got a mention uh, in dispatches there. But the clue was um, he's a Dulwich cricketing product and we're on the right track with cap numbers. So I had a look and thought, well, Bob Wyatt, who was the vice captain to Jardine during body line, but there's no Dulwich connection there. But there is, Dan, in the one-day international team. That's the thing. You've got to dig. You've got to dig. And um, we're assuming, we think, Nyron, that you're referring to the great Chris Jordan. Who, yep. was, who was a Dulwich College boy. That's right. Um, that's the connection, I should have. That's correct. Of course, it's your alma mater as well. It is my alma mater. And uh, he came over on a same scholarship program that saw a, another guy called Roel Braithwaite, Brathwaite, come over a couple of years before that. Quick bowler. I think he had maybe two years at Dulwich. I played a game last year for my birthday at the school. And you can see his name because all the, all the verse 11s are all... You know, written up on their version of an honours board, not for hundreds and five years, <laughs> just for playing, just for turning up. You get on the honours board at Dulwich College. That's what that's, you get for your school fees. Exactly. That's that's what a proper unmeritocracy looks like. Um, interestingly enough, when the Dulwich connection was suggested, it got me thinking of Owen Morgan, because Owen Morgan also went to Dulwich. Oh, did he? Yeah, he went when he was about 13, 14 years old, but only for a couple of terms. And he's not there on the honours board, because I don't think he actually played cricket 
for the first eleven, which is a terrible oversight. I mean, Dulwich College has to be the only public school which has had a World Cup winning captain. Who didn't make the first? Who didn't make the first? So that's pretty bloody strong. Well, Nara and Clunas, I'm glad we've been able to resolve that. Uh, so it's Chris Jordan two three one six five four. So Lucas Stewart uh, was in on that last week. We come up a bit short, and on reflection. It was a dreadful effort on our part. We, we went to Colin Milburn's test run tally and Nick Compton's cap number. And look, as Lucas explained, um, we missed some pretty low-hanging fruit there. Um, Darcy Danaher also was quick on this, who's a listener to the show and uh, and, and the man who's um, been uh, making a very strong case that on the 25th of November next year we, we should be having Peter Siddle Day to reflect uh, 10 years or recognise 10 years since the, the birthday hat-trick. If you're listening, Premier Daniel Andrews, this is what we're after, Peter <laughs> Siddle Day. But of course, Siddle, when taking the birthday hat-trick, finished with the bowling analysis of... Six for 54. I said to you, Dan, off air, I know this, I know this, I know this, and and couldn't work out what it was. So six for 54 is what it was from Lucas Stewart. The other um, contribution on that was from Mike Dunn that said, what about Durban 1939? And indeed, what about Durban 1939? The 11-day test match where England had to declare um, chasing... Were they chasing 654? 696. And they were 654 for five. five on... Before having to get the boat back. Uh, day it was day eleven I think uh, they they had to get the boat back because it was March I want to say yep. nineteen thirty nine um, war was in the air this was pre war so that, I mean it, it, in our uh, world, it was August of uh, it, it, well, it, it, it was sort of it, September September it was yeah, about, yeah. about September the it was September the fifteenth it was um, the final test at the Oval at the time in our in our terms it, that's exactly what it was yeah. uh, but it, it wasn't in their terms and so. Actually, the number of boats that were part, that were going back along that route had been massively curtailed because people were preparing for war and there was fears and danger and what have you. So they had to get on this bloody boat. But they had to get the train first. The reason they... The yeah. But Wally Hammond didn't. Wally Hammond went separately. I think he either went by, like, by like private jet oh, right. or, uh, or some flashy like chauffeur-driven roller because uh, he was a superstar at the time. And he went separately from the rest of the team. They both mercifully arrived just in time. Yeah. Uh, but... If you look at the figures for that game, it's incredible. England five down, having faced something like 219 eight-ball overs. Mm. Didn't even get a little bit of a hurry up <laughs> after the loss of the third wicket. No, dig in, lads, dig in. I mean... Hitler will wait. What, what, sort, what sort of mindset did they have in those days? That uh, they would go, right, 6.54 for five, timeless tests, shake hands to the draw. None of them were sat there thinking, do you know, if we just, like, put a foot to the pedal, maybe just for half an hour... Just after tea on day eleven, we might have gone might have got the there. line. No, no, we prefer the utter futility of a drawn, timeless test. <laughs> Brilliant. So that's six fifty-four. Two great options, but it's got to be uh, Peter Settle on his birthday. Six for fifty-four. Birthday hat trick. Thank you, Lucas Stewart and Gary Murphy. Um, responded. Uh, now this is a, a bit to get through here. In short, three twenty-nine isn't Michael Clark. Uh, at Sydney in 2012. It's also not Inzamam Al-Haq who made a 329 against New Zealand in, in 2002. He advised us that it's a record team score that lasts to this day. So when I was Googling around thinking, oh, what else could it be? It's not the record 329 not out made in an amateur match by a schoolboy in 2010 in Yorkshire, a kid by the name of, you know what? I don't Oh, yes, I do. Oliver... Hardiker made 329 not out in a 40 over game which was a record then So, it, but it's not that it's a team score so Dan we kind of turned well, our attention to the women's game I, I went in search of women's T20 internationals 
And because uh, I had a, a recollection that Marley had had a particularly bad week <laughs> last year. They, they definitely did, yes. In June of last week. It's not quite right, but it is worth reminding listeners that in a three-day spell from the 20th of June 2019 to the 22nd of June 2019, in three T20 matches, Marley conceded 845 runs and took four wickets in 60 overs against Uganda, Tanzania and Rwanda. I mean, that is... That is epically tough. Those are, that's, those are days in the dirt, yeah. I've got to say. Jeez. Lucky they're only 20 over games. Imagine they were playing 50 over games, the sort of hole they would have taken. I mean, look, the Marley story is a, is a beautiful one too, I should add. Uh, for um, uh, More on that, read Sam Morsehead's piece uh, uh, on the Cricketer website from, from last year explaining the, 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 uh, the backstory to how they even became a cricket team, which it's well worth looking at. But yes, they took well, a pounding. It's not going to meet the criteria though, is it? Because none of those scores are 3 although, 2 nine. Just to finish off on that, on that yep. first one, the three fourteen for mm. 2 that they conceded. They conceded 61 extras in that time, Ooh. including 30 nobles and 28 wides. And then, well, they slightly underperformed with the bat, despite the three <laughs> wides that were gifted to them. They were, I'm afraid, bowled out for 10 to lose a match by 304 runs. Um, this is by in no way am I denigrating their performance. I think it's absolutely fantastic that they were playing. You've got to start from somewhere. You know, there are the foothills of the Himalayas in 10 years' time. We could be talking about a great Marley Well, 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 well the, the digression there, and we're going to talk about it later, but we might as well pivot there now, is that the Under-19s World Cup this week, we saw Afghanistan beat the hosts, South Africa, in the first fixture, um, and we, we also saw Japan get um, thrashed by India and bowled out for 41. But, I mean, as many people observed uh, when that was taking place, Japan did get beaten by 130 points in a Rugby World Cup game uh, how long ago it was, 10, 15 years ago, I think it was, and, and they beat South Africa uh, at the Rugby World Cup the last time around, well, two times exactly, two yeah, times ago. Exactly. So, uh, look, there, there is scope for these things, and we've got to keep a positive mindset about growing the game. So that's the... They're the patron... 3-2-9. So so we're, 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 we're at a loss, aren't we? 3 we 9 Gary Murphy, back to you. You said it's a team score. We haven't got there on that basis. It's not... Um, young Oliver Hardiker. It's not Inzo Al Huck, it's not Michael Clark, and it's not the Mali women. It's somewhere out there, though. And, so it, can't be, and it can't be a 50 over uh, it's score because well, no. there's plenty higher scores yeah, than 329. Well, uh, yeah, and the women's game, it took a while to get to that mark. I think about five years ago, they started uh, yeah. taking on scores above that consistently. Okay, I, can I have one go? Have one pop. Go is, on. is it the highest score in a simulated game of the 100? <laughs> Well, we'll see. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. Uh, right, so it's to this week. So if you want to be part of um, the fun, it's patreon.com forward slash the final word. And uh, three people who've jumped on uh, recently to, to make a contribution to that. Uh, the first of those is username, no full name, but uh, Aswan52. So not a full name, but a username, Aswan52. He said 242 or $2.42, which we extrapolate out to 242. And we try and work out what that means. I mean, there, there were... There were two that I found in my usual haunts. Johnny Gleeson, that was his cap number, the mystery spinner. Uh, SF Barnes, would you believe, made 242 runs in his whole test career. Is he? he took 170-odd wickets, but 190-odd wickets, was it? Yeah, at, at, you know, 11 or something like yeah, that. Yeah, some ridiculous 16, figure. I think. But 16, yep. was it right? So, it, look, I then, you know, the, the first thing that comes up is Sachin Tendulkar's 242. At the SCG in 2004 against Australia, it wasn't even the best innings. It wasn't even the best contribution in that innings. Lakshman's 170-odd was, was a far more aesthetically pleasing innings, but 
let's uh, let's um, push on in any case. But I've got another two four two. Yeah, I was going to say there's another two four two in that series, which is probably better. Well, what's really fun about it is that last week we talked about Dudley Norse getting two thirty one and naught, which yes. at the time was the highest score for somebody who also got a duck in the same test. Well, blow me down with a feather if two four two was not also a record score with a duck by Ricky Ponting the- at Adelaide, and it's also it is a record because. It's the highest individual score by someone from a losing team. A remarkable test match. So Australia were 400 on the first day, with Ponting already having tallied 200. Um, they went on to make 500 declared. India, of course, win with Ajit Gurkha on the final day, taking six for um, after Lutchman and and, uh, and Drab had put an- another one of those magical honours stands. Board. Batting together on that honours board at Adelaide Oval, make no mistake. Uh, but, um, yes, that's right. So one of two consecutive double hundreds for Ponting in that series. Adelaide then at Melbourne in, in the Boxing Day Test match. So two times in that series, 2-4-2 two two were made. So we're going to go with that as one. And on both occasions, really, it's a... A net win for India because India won at Sydney. Well, they didn't win at Sydney. They drew, but it was enough to ensure that they won the series in Australia. No, sorry, that's wrong as well. That meant they drew the series in Australia. Had Australia won on that final day with Steve Waugh, they, they would have they would have that's lost still two an one. Achievement against that it, side. it was it was it was a massive achievement at the time. And Ponting, they managed to, to turn over despite making two four two. So that's resolved. I think I'd be surprised if it wasn't one of the okay. things we've said there. Yep. Um, the next is from Paul Johnson, four hundred and fifty two. So. Um, Tony Gregg was the 452nd Englishman to play for to play Test cricket in the news well, not at the English, moment, of course, because uh, not English by birth, but English no. Test cricketer is what I'm trying to say. No, Scottish mother was it? Um, he, he's in the news at the moment because the English are currently fixated with their um, all-rounders. So there was an article out there. You know, who's best out of Botham, Stokes, and Flintoff? Uh, it seems like a pretty facile question. So they completely. Forgot Tony Ignore Craig, the bloke who averaged 40, 40 with the bat and 29 it. with the ball. Exactly. So, stranger, he's got airbrushed out of history. Consorting with Kerry Packer can do that to <laughs> you in the English cricket establishment. Uh, uh, another loved player from the final word um, is Chad Sayers, one of our faves. He was the 452nd Australian to play Test cricket, where the English are playing this week at Johannesburg in, in 2018. He bowled, bowled well that week too. It's, it's often forgotten, but um, it was the one time that he got a chance to, to finally uh, represent yep. Australia. But it, it feels though, um, uh, yeah. Norky, it feels as though we're, we're trending towards a Bradman. Yeah, no, he's, I mean, this is a word that sticks in my craw. Mercifully, uh, we can say Bradman, and, but then I have to genuflect to the portrait of Douglas Jardine, <laughs> who is away and to my left and gazing down beneficently. No, no more than just to put, the, just beneath the, the, the sofa we're sitting on right now is indeed a portrait of Douglas Jardine. <laughs> so, I forget about that sometimes. Yeah, hopefully, hopefully he will expiate us from our sins for mentioning uh, the great man's name, Bradman, that is. I mean, I, you know, when I used to work on a very different broadcast test match sofa um, there was one word there's one word in the English language which um, people really didn't like us to say uh, it's a word I'm not going to say it's one that uh, I think we can all work out and it <laughs> begins with C so um, in order to be able to get the same feelings of fury out of our system we replaced that word with Bradman <laughs> so it was, our, it was our way of getting our own back but I suspect that it is actually got to be Bradman hasn't it 452 yeah, against uh, Queensland at the SCG in 1930. So after he comes home from that famous Ashes tour, he puts the Queenslanders to the sword that December. I note it was just 465 balls. I mean, occasionally you hear about, I think we were doing it on the social the other week, a, a composite side of, of players who weren't eligible to play T20 cricket because it was you know obviously well before their time. But and no one really mentioned Bradman. But, you know, if you're making 452 in 
in four, six, five balls. Well, you know, there's, there's probably, a, and he, of course, made 300, um, 300 a day. A day. I mean, yeah. probably, he's probably got a claim. Did he, he not play he, a charity game or something <laughs> when he got 117 balls? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Or something yeah. daft. I mean, yeah. 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 It belies that kind of idea that, well, Bradman just played along the carpet, didn't he? <laughs> yeah. I remember I had this school principal uh, when I lived in Warrnambool, and um, the day that Don Bradman passed away in, in 2001. The principal stood up and started beating his chest about um, the Bradman myth and, and, and so on. Uh, and, and he proceeded to explain to us that every time, every time the English bowled body line at Don Bradman, he hit them for six. And I'm sitting there in the audience thinking, that's absolutely not what happened. Like, <laughs> <laughs> they literally halved his average uh, for one series and one series only. But, you know, don't let the, don't let the truth get in, in the way of a myth. But yes, 452 against Queensland. So we'll go with that for Paul Johnson. And our final number for today, and thank you, Paul, it's very kind of you, is from John Tucker, 438. A number we've had come up on the final word before because, of course, it's the what South Africans call the 438 game and Australians call it the 434 game from um, March 2006, the record one-day international chase. It's, it's, it's a bit like, it, it, it's funny you should say that because that reminds me instantly of... Um uh, what people used to call flu and venereal disease. <laughs> so uh, venereal disease used to be the French disease in England, and it was the English disease in France. Oh right. So yeah, yeah. You guys, you call, you guys call that the four three four game. And the four the four three game, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> venereal disease, the flu, the four. Yeah. There's probably some other links there, I'm sure. Uh, so four three eight. We're, we're going to move beyond that. We, we've done that before four three eight. So John, it may very well be what you're referring to, but let's broaden out a wee bit. And it's it's Mitch Marsh's cap number and you're a big fan of Mitch aren't you I'm, I'm a, yeah, well, a considerable fan of, it, it, might, it, 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 it might be it might be there although I feel like I've I've cut him off several times on commentary when I've been talking about well oh, this, this is the day for Mitch this is the day and, and, and he you know gets out shortly thereafter but um, th- there's a better one and, and there's a nice link to what, something we were talking about just before Daniel well there is and it's it's a cap number of uh, Pat Pocock uh, nicknamed Percy who uh, this week is in the news because Don Bess's Pfeiffer was the was by the youngest off-spinning Englishman. I know these are very crazy stats. Since Pat Pocock did it when he was like 21, 22, I think he he took an early Pfeiffer in his career. Never quite properly fulfilled his potential at international level. Got some wickets against the Indians in India, but was in and out of the side. Probably more famous for a couple of things. Um, singing, he's got tremendous singing voice at the Surrey end of season bash. Yeah, Will, Will McPherson made this uh, observe this on yeah. Twitter, saying that um, that if uh, you know if he follows in in Percy Pocock's uh, footsteps, he'll be he'll be uh, he'll be uh, he'll be sought after for the um, the after dinner singing scene. And he's, he's pretty good actually. Is uh, he's, he's an incredibly lovely man. Um, he was also. <laughs> Poor fella uh, was often dragged into night watchman duties against the West Indies in like the 1970s. Like 1976, I seem to remember he had to go out as as night watchman against the likes of Wayne Daniel, Andy Roberts, Mike Holding. No mm. picnic, which, which he, he did with his usual uh, cheery sense of humour. So I, I hope it's Pat Pocock that you're thinking of because I do like a, a recollection of Pat Pocock that's perfect thanks John Tucker thanks Paul Johnson thanks Aswan 52 and of course Naren Clunas Lucas Stewart and Gary Murphy for getting back to us it's very good of you of course as I said you can all be part of it Patron which is P-A-T-R-E-O-N Patreon but don't know why they spell it that way dot com forward slash the final word be a part of Nerd Pledge which of course keeps us fit and firing and able to make a podcast each week um, and as we said last week 
email us or get in touch if you are already a patron on the page to tell us what you want from us on the show. We, um, you know, we can create more unique content, videos, singing, dancing. We'll do it if you want to be. Yeah, you want to be part of the, the patron page. We'll we'll, uh, we'll do precisely that. A couple of people got in touch last week asking about uh, the history of the final word on that North South podcast. I tweeted out that link during the week if you want to go there and hear more about how Jeff and I started. Of course, there's also the the ABC documentary that was made last year, which was um, it was genuine, generously uh, charted what what we were doing a couple of years ago in the UAE and goes into the the backstory of what what Jeff and I used to do and what we're doing now. We're also available for events. We we used to mention this, but we kind of dropped off saying it. If you if you want to do something in in London, your cricket club or something like that, and oh. what the final word to be part of it. I'm sure that Dan and I will get along or somewhere in the UK and if it's in Australia, Melbourne specifically, uh, Jeff, I'm sure we'll find a suitable dance partner to represent the final word at one of your events. Just get in touch on the email, finalwordcricket at gmail.com or on the Patreon page, patreon.com forward slash the final word. Dan, let's take a break. Back in a tick with our interview with Dan Christian. This is Felix White and you are listening to The Final Word Pod with Adam Collins and Jeff Lemon, the Hit It Out of Nunnery. Dan, before we go on, some love for our friends at Future Talent. You're, you're new to the, the Future Talent story, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you how it goes. Future Talent makes sports cards. The cards that you might have been familiar with when you were a kid growing up, the football cards, the football stickers and so forth, bespoke beautiful things Pictures on the front, words on the back, all about members of your team or your office or your whatever it is that you're doing as a collective. This is an opportunity to make something special and make something that hopefully will endure rather than some crappy little participation trophy, which will almost certainly end up in the bin. We're, we're nearing that point of the year, Norky, where um, participation nights and, and end of season dues and whatnot are being arranged. There's not a better time to jump on the futuretalent.com website, put in the final word at the offer code option there to get yourself 15% off and you can have something which will endure from a company that's been around for 10 years run by Heath Evans a dear friend of ours who um, who started this uh, it's gone extremely well um, they've been working with us throughout the course of the Australian summer they've got wonderful ratings five star ratings from both Google and Facebook people love the work they do we've got final word cards made up of Jeff and I which I think you've seen oh, I want Dan. one we're going to make one for you. All the members of The Final Word have been on the show. So oh, yeah. our various interview guests, so Isha Guha, Jared Waitley, David Warner, Glenn Maxwell, um, Ian Chappell, um, yeah, Daniel Christian. League, but, yeah. <laughs> but still, you are, you've certainly been a guest. Andrew Sampson, Andy Zaltzman have also been a part of the, the uh, Nerd Pledge Quiz. I'm, uh, um, of course, Earthboy, who, who, who contributes our, um, our, our title music each week. They're all going to be on, on football cards, but forget about them for the time being. We want you to... Go onto the website, futuretalent.com.au, uh, jump in with the final word, drop them an email as well with, with your specifications, get yourself a discount. There could not be a better time and they're a great organisation who've been a wonderful support of us and, and we hope you'll be supportive of them as well. Oh, too right. I'm, I'm very much up for that. Uh, you can have like different categories in there as well, I presume. Well, you so. can. All the biographical information yeah. on the back. So, so we have... Matches. I wonder if I do... Yeah, I could, I could have like tests commentated. Yeah, that, well, I'd That's strongly encourage kind of it. The, yeah. Well, we, we did this uh, many years ago when I was working in an office um, environment, as you used to as well. I, I went to Future Talent and got our Christmas party cards made by them for a few colleagues who were leaving the office. And Genius. I can't remember what categories we put at the time, but it was like that. It was uh, it was uh, uh, satirical um, categories of things they may have done, press releases drafted and so forth. And the you can do that rolled. too. Yeah, yeah, that might be one in your case. So, <laughs> But 
but still, there, there is a, a great opportunity to make a, a product with, again, your face on the front as well. They look good. They're nice to put up around the place. And especially for juniors. I mean, you think about being mm. a kid and, you know, I'm doing another podcast at the moment about the 994, 95 um, Australia A um, experience when, when they join the World Series Cup and the amount of people that have come back to us with, with old cricket cards with signatures all over them these matter to kids and, and they still do I mean I know selfies are the, the, the modern autograph if you like but the actual tangible thing of having a card with your face on the front doesn't get much better than that futuretalent.com.au pop in the final word for your 15% discount back to the show This is The Final Word with Jeff Lemon and Adam Collins, and we're very pleased to have on the show today, Dan Christian. Uh, welcome to the show, first of all, Dan. Thanks for having me, Jess. Cheers. We're talking to you primarily because Cricket Australia have just um, released their new Reconciliation Action Plan, which comes five years after their first one. It, it's an upgraded and expanded effort, and you know, you're someone who's had a very high-profile role with Indigenous cricket, um, leading the Indigenous teams to the UK on two occasions, presenting the cap to Ash Gardner when she made her test debut earlier this year and um, on that symbolic side of things as as well as the more practical on-field things. Um, And so first of all, we we wanted to get your sense of the RAP and what it means and, and, um, you know, your understanding of it, I suppose, as as to what effect it might have. Yeah, I'm I'm just really excited about uh, the the path that CA have decided to go down here, I think we've um, it's been a long time coming, I think, but just with the uh, having having um, some Indigenous team matches in the BBL and uh, Australian teams wearing you know, the theme shirts um, and just just creating more awareness, um, I think I think in uh, of of both the both the Indigenous culture and and then also for uh, yeah for to try and to try and get a few kids, I think coming through a few more Indigenous kids coming through. I, I think I've said it before about the amount of superstars we have in the NRL and the, and the AFL. It'd, it'd be nice to be able to get some of those over in uh, over and playing for our sport. And you know, something like this, I think, it will go a long way towards doing that. Yeah, let, let's maybe start there because it feels like such a a, a chasm between uh, other sports, as you say, and and. and where we feel like it should be. I mean, growth has been made. The stats are in the RAP, which say that since 2013, the amount of participants at a local level has gone from 8,500, which is a minuscule number of Indigenous players playing the game, to 69,000 by now, which that's a big leap and and heading in the right direction. But historically, for, I'm assuming, a a host of reasons intersecting, uh, we haven't seen uh, as many Indigenous players taking cricket up uh, as an indigenous man yourself why do you think that's been the case or what are the things that you can point to which which can account for, for that big gap oh, just off the top of my head i think i think 2020 has probably been the biggest driver of, of that increase the uh just the amount of the amount of time that uh, it takes and i think it's just more appealing more appealing to people to be playing that shorter format of the game and and particularly particularly generating that kind of interest it's um for me, growing up, it was always rugby league in the winter. Growing up, country New South Wales, it was rugby league in the winter and, and cricket in the summer, and, and went down the cricket path just because I was, you know, a fair bit better at it. But um, you know, growing up, the you know, cousins, you know, a lot of my cousins and um, family and stuff were, were as good, if not much better, cricketers than me. But they just, you know, mm. they just want to. They weren't that interested in it. Didn't really go down the path. They were much more interested in the footy codes. 
Um, so I, I dare say that was a, a reflection of what was happening around the country as well. If you look at, um, administratively speaking, there's been such a difference in the last five years, I suppose. The, um, one report that I read very thoroughly, the, the 2014 report from ANU, was was damning really when it came to Australian cricket's relationship with Indigenous people. Um, the, the quote that that jumped out at me most from the the Bill Fogarty, Mick Dodson, Corinne Walsh report was um, it said that it's evident that the damage resulting from a legacy of exclusion, racism and disastrous public policy by government um, has been instrumental in the causation of a disconnect between cricket and the wider Indigenous community. That's really recent 2014 for there to be, you know, for that state of affairs to exist. Um, and it it feels like the advances that have been made in the last few years are much more genuine than window dressing. But I mean, that's that's for me looking at it from outside, I guess. Um, I wondered how you felt about those last few years and whether there is that sense that the momentum is actually real and, and that, that genuine change will be made rather than symbolic change. Yeah, I, I certainly think that's a, it's, a, um, it's a genuine change. I was lucky enough to go on that 2009 uh, tour where we where we sort of recreated the steps of that 1868 team and uh, just the, the publicity that went around that and the support we got from from CA uh, compared to last year's tour was completely different. Last year's tour was was run brilliantly. The way it was really uh, celebrated, it was a, it was a fantastic trip, and I, just that just just those two. Um, those two tours, I think, really highlight the the, the strides that Cricket Australia's made in in that area. Um, the Imparja Cup and the National Indigenous Championships as well have uh, increased a lot in in the um, the amount of teams that play in it each year. And uh, yeah, I just think I think the whole program's getting better. We, we're getting more and more um, you know, high quality cricketers coming through that that team that we had last year that went to England. I think I'm not sure there was anyone there not playing first grade. It was a, it was a um, yeah really it was a really really strong side and um, and that reflected on the on the way we went on the field as well. In terms of bolstering that first class representation, you mentioned the Imparja Cup, which I guess a lot of people who follow the the game closely would have heard of and had some involvement with. But um, in the RAP, it talks about these Indigenous carnivals being played, I guess, across the country rather than just at the national set piece events. How important is that going to be in terms of talent ID and and giving uh, young Indigenous kids a, sort of a pathway to playing professional cricket? Yeah, I think that's the key. The pathway, trying to just being able to highlight a pathway for for young kids coming through and uh, knowing that they can, knowing that they can play first class cricket from from there. Ash Gardner is the best example of that. I think she came right through the the Imparja Cup through the women's side, and, and now mm. she's um, you know going on in leaps and bounds. Darcy Darcy Short played in the uh, National Indigenous Championships as well. I'm pretty sure. So yeah, it'll be it'll be nice to get someone get. You know, more and more kids coming through that way. I think that obviously the grade cricket, grade cricket is always going to be the the number one pathway for for young cricketers coming through in um, you know for first class cricket and the Australian team. And uh, but yeah, to at least to at least be able to highlight uh, the talent and and to give some kids that that first opportunity. I think uh, yeah, some some state-based competitions would be fantastic. Dan, there, a documentary just screened on Channel 7 um, in Australia about the, the women's ashes mid-year and, and you popped up and 
uh, featured in the second episode of that with the cat presentation for Ash Gardner. What does it mean to you? You know, you're, you're someone who had to carry the torch on your own for quite a bit, you know, coming in in the early 2000s. Um, there was a long period of time where you were really the only Indigenous cricketer playing at a really high level in Australia. And you spoke to Ash quite movingly about what it meant, you know, representing her hard work, but also representing her people more broadly. Um, what did it mean to you to have that moment and share that moment with um, with a cricketer making a test debut? Yeah, that was that was wonderful. I was pretty taken aback by, by just be, being able to get the opportunity to do that. Uh, and then um, I think that's probably more nervous than I've ever been, I think, than even on a, on a cricket field playing in front of 50,000 yeah. people was there representing us. Yeah, it was a really special occasion. I was, yeah, I'll thrilled and honoured to be a part of it um, for yeah, a number of reasons obviously having followed Ash uh, leading leading into that and being you know, we were we went on that tour together uh, the year before she captained the uh, the women's Aboriginal team and I had the men's team and yeah just and just seeing the way she progressed so it was wonderful wonderful to be there for her but then also to see uh, yeah what she's what she's done and that, and that pathway that she's that she's trodden to get where she is it was a um yeah really wonderful wonderful and, and proud moment for me to be a part of and hopefully hopefully she's a little bit of a, a trailblazer for for those young indigenous kids that can that can do the same thing come through the Imparja cup and work their way up into into grade cricket and state cricket and bbl or, or wbbl before returning to the action plan just wanted to touch a bit more on the uh 2018 to a uh, walkabout wickets documentary I guess that followed um, the exposure as you say the, the professionalism of it the amount of coverage it received and, and all the rest was wonderful but also um, looking at it from the outside the, the way in which you were able to retrace some of the games that were played in 1868 and also uh, the indigenous uniforms that you were wearing and I guess the link to Auntie Fiona uh, and the work that she's done uh, with the artwork that you've had and her link back to the 1868 so if you can talk a little bit about how it tied a lot of different threads together yeah, that was a lovely touch. The the artwork we had, and then also the names of the uh, names of the original players on the back of our shirts. We wore our we wore our normal numbers that we might wear for our, our BBL or whatever the other guys might be might be playing. But then, yeah, being able to represent um, each of those each of those players on the back of our shirts was uh, yeah, that was that was really cool and, and pretty special as well. You've been a big proponent of having an indigenous uh, having an indigenous round in the Big Bash and and the WBBL as has become pretty common in football codes and so on. It, it seems like that almost happened and then didn't quite, and it's been being talked about for a few years without having been fully realised. Where do you think that's at, and uh, and how close might it be to becoming a reality? Yeah, I think I think it's I think it's really close. I know we've got. Uh, we've got an indigenous theme round, oh, indigenous theme game for uh, the Renegades this year. Uh, I think it's on the 25th of January. I'm not too sure. I need to double check that one. And yeah, there's, I know there's other teams doing it as well. The Scorchers and Strikers have done it. Uh, the Hurricanes are doing it uh, against the Sixers, I think, in in Alice Springs. So uh, a lot of the teams are, are taking the initiative themselves, and I, I know it's not far away. It's just a, uh, yeah, I suppose the scheduling, the scheduling is a, a little bit of an issue. I suppose we don't have a as clear set rounds in in cricket as what we do in the yeah. you know, footy codes, but um, no, certainly certainly going in the right direction. And like I touched on earlier, if we can if we can 
continue to promote our sport to the wider Indigenous community, then I think that's going to go a long way to, to finding those, you know, those young superstar kids and, and stopping them from going to play the other <laughs> footy codes. So this report's received what they've called a stretch status by Reconciliation Australia. So it's the first time a national sporting code have been given that recognition. It feels like that might be in part due to just the sheer volume of deliverables in the back of the report. 104 different areas where Cricket Australia have now committed to um, taking responsibility. Uh, there's uh, there's um, there's quite a detailed uh, process in place for all of those. So some of those um, uh, deliverables are, are quite modest, such as registering events on the National Reconciliation website. But then some that are quite vast, like getting every Australian club uh, involved in an anti-racism statement each year. Like, I've got to say, when I was growing up or playing park cricket and, and so forth, but the idea of uh, my club or any club uh, being involved in, in such a massive statement, well, it, it would have been sort of unheard of. Like, Do you think that's perhaps where the most important progress will be made at, at grassroots level, uh, giving uh, local players and local clubs a much better understanding of, of the project ahead of us? Yeah, I think so. That's uh, that's just awareness. I think is the biggest key, and awareness and education. Uh, I, I haven't. I'm yet to watch the the Adam Goods documentaries, but I've I've heard a lot about them, and and they're mm. they're basically about the same thing. About um, yeah, just just having that, creating that awareness, and and um, you know, helping people understand what what um, Aboriginal culture is all about from its history and and what it's about now nowadays. Trying to um, trying to maintain and and uh, you know encourage people to learn about it. Um, I know one of the things in the one of the one of the 104 commitments is the annual reconciliation round for the community yes. and premier clubs. That'll go a long way towards it as well. As long as with those, those um, yeah that that uh, racism racism plan as well. So uh, yeah, I, I think it's uh, it's I think there's some wonderful things in there, and it's um, yeah all all going in the right direction. In terms of awareness, there are quite a few um, advances that have been made this year. The welcome to country at the test matches has been much more prominent. Um, the the performance before the Adelaide test, particularly the um, uh, the T Twenty World Cups, are going to be used as a vehicle for that. Um, to you know, for to tell that story, and also the bringing in of the the Johnny Muller medal for the best on ground at the Boxing Day Test. Um, Unaramin or Johnny Muller was an early Aboriginal superstar who was in that 1868 team and um, played first class cricket for Victoria and um, was a, a legend in country Victoria so to have his name on you know the best on ground for the Boxing Day Test, a, a ground at which he played and um, and that it's also a, a replica of the belt buckle that that 1868 team wore so you know th- these these things coming through they're just they're so much more prominent and visible than than was the case previously. Yeah exactly right and, and it's that uh, that yeah, that prominence and, and visibility that's going to you know, create the awareness and um, and hopefully hopefully remove some of that that ignorance. I suppose it's yeah, I think it's that's a wonderful thing that, that we're going to be calling it that. The, the Muller Medal, Johnny Muller was the guy that I had on the back of my shirt for for the mm. tour. And, um, no, I've, I kind of felt a real, obviously, obviously never met him because he was you know, from 1868, but uh, <laughs> it, I felt a real, I felt a real. Um, Oh, sort of obligation to, to do well and sort of up, uphold the uphold the, the spirit of that tour and, and how he went on that tour it was um, 
yeah, it was a really special thing to, to be a part of. Uh, big shoes to fill. We, we took about 250 wickets at an average of 10 or something, didn't we, on that tour? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And scored a bucket load of runs as well. <laughs> <laughs> Dan, I was looking back at a, a couple of um, uh, bits of this today and that when the board were presented with this, I mean, they, they, wore, they wore bare feet as, as a sort of recognition of country uh, that now Cricket Australia have a, a full-time employee, uh, Courtney Hagen, working there as your Indigenous Engagement Specialist. And you mentioned Adam Cassidy before, the amazing work he's done in there as the Community and Diversity Inclusion Manager. But how important is that to you that when you look at the contrast, you mentioned Adam Goods before, and I know there has been an apology issued by the Australian Football League, and that was, I think, really important. But you look at the dilapidated way the discourse around goods um, permeated for, for, for a long time there, regrettably, and now you see the contrast with Cricket Australia, who seem to be um, all the way to the very top uh, at board level and reading words from the chief executive and, and the chair. Uh, and as I mentioned before, that board meeting where this was presented, it, it feels as though that there is legitimate bias in from the very top yeah exactly right that's that's exactly what it feels like and that's that's uh yeah been been wonderful to see that uh cricket australia have, have got on the got on the front foot and and um yeah gone down that path so yeah hopefully that all just continues to lead to increasing the increasing the participation and and uh you know the enjoyment of, of our sport in in the indigenous community and and uh conversely uh making sure that that the wider cricket community just continues to be continues to be educated and, and made aware of, of, of our culture. I think that's just the that's the key to it. And, um, yeah, hopefully hopefully it all keeps going in that direction. And when you're kicking back in 30 years or so, and you know not playing anymore, and uh, well, probably not playing anymore, and um, might, in, might, in, might still be going. <laughs> you might, you never know. <laughs> if you can, get, if the slower balls just get slower. With your longevity. What do you hope to be seeing? You know, what, what do you hope to be watching um, on the field, and, and who, who do you want to be seeing running around, and all the rest of it um, in in another couple of decades' time. Oh, it'd be great to see. It'd be great to see you know, something like we've seen the footy codes, where you've got you know three, four, five, six, seven, however many indigenous players in in each team being the dominant forces in in the sport. That um, that's the that'll be the ultimate. The way the way that we've seen the um, you know the, some of the best players and some of the best players in both those competitions are in, are indigenous players in the NRL and the AFL. So. Um, yeah, if, if we can get there, that'll be absolutely brilliant. 30 years, it sounds like that'll be a really long way away, but uh, it'd be nice if, if it happened earlier than that. But um, yeah, that, that, that'll certainly be the ultimate goal, I think. Let's hope there's a, a lot more than 69,000 Indigenous players playing, right? Like hopefully, even the international recognition they're going to do at one game each year for men and women and we already talked about what's happening at community level I mean it, it all kind of boils down to that doesn't it it's not just uh, about elite cricket as crucial as that will be it's it's making sure that the, the talent pool is bigger and that across the board in, indigenous boys and girls feel as though this is a sport for them as much as the football codes are yeah exactly right we just yeah like we said earlier just keep trying to create that awareness and and having the international matches is, is certainly the key to that. So, you know, you got your young young kids turning the TV on and, and um, yeah, seeing the Indigenous shirts and the Welcome to Country and, and the real, uh, yeah, promotion promotion of the sport and the culture. I think that'll, that'll be the, the key to making sure that they, that they're, uh, you know, I think cricket can be a viable, a viable career path. 
I guess one of the things, when you're talking about Indigenous issues, Dan, for white Australians, it can seem really theoretical or, or distant. You know, it doesn't really affect us in our day-to-day lives. And so it's easy to, to not engage with the issues or, or to think about things as being a really long time ago and therefore not really relevant to the current day. But, you know, one of the things when you, you start to look into the subject that, that drives home is how close it all still is and you know your dad for instance was was affected by the stolen generations um uh you know the the, you know having to be hidden away from uh from people who were looking to take kids away from their families and so on and it's as recent as that for for someone like you it's very present in your life yeah exactly right there's um yeah dad and dad and his brothers and sisters and cousins used to have to run when they when they knew the welfare was coming or they heard the welfare the welfare guys were coming to take them away so um yeah, and that would have been maybe oh, in the fifties and sixties, which is yeah, it's probably it's not that long ago. So, and yeah, we're still seeing we still see high rates of unemployment, um, high rates of poor health, uh, the school issues issues with school attendance, life expectancy still still not um, anywhere near what it is in in mainstream in mainstream society. I think. Or the last, I'm not sure what the, the most recent numbers are, but I think it was the life expectancy of an Aboriginal person was around about 57. I think the last, the last of the yeah. check, which is um, yeah, which is just terrible. It's disgusting. So, um, you know, and and I think sport can play sport can play a massive role in improving those those kind of figures. It just, just a, it's a wonderful avenue for for um, you know kids to learn you know, discipline and and um, and you know, teamwork and, and doing, you know, doing the right thing. So it's a, um, um, yeah, it's, a, it's wonderful that cricket's going down this path and, you know, hopefully we can continue to keep doing it everywhere else as well. Often when you see the, the way the the online debate can, can run, when sports people put their head above the parapet and talk about broader issues outside of sport as you are just then, there can be pushback where people who don't like what they're saying say, oh, you know, just stick to sport, mate. But for you, it feels as though you have that megaphone, and you're you're not just happy to use it; you're keen to use it and keen to tell, um, you know, the story of Indigenous cricket, but also the the broader societal challenges that that still present themselves to Indigenous communities, and, and trying to uh, trying to make that better into the future, and playing your part in that, not just as a cricketer, but as a leader more generally. Yeah, um, you know, it's not something that I'm. I wouldn't say that I'm out there with my megaphone. But if I do get asked, then I'm not going to shy away from the. Not going to shy away mm. from the question. I um, before I started before I started playing professional cricket when I left school, I was working for the Department of Employment and Workplace Relations and in the Indigenous Employment Branch. So uh, I saw a lot of that stuff firsthand and, and learnt about a lot of the issues and 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 worked in that worked in that space for about five years. Uh, before I became a full-time cricketer, so it's been a long time removed from that. It's been sort of fifteen, or yeah, nearly fifteen years since I've uh, since I've worked in that space. But still, uh, yeah, those issues are still are still relevant for sure, and, and something that I've still taken notice of, despite uh, my cricket career is going down that going down the path it has. It's one of the things for, given that there are so few professional Indigenous cricketers at the moment, that that it seems like. If you are, you have to you you know you have to be a torchbearer. You have to be a representative, as it were. Does that ever feel like a an imposition, like something that you'd rather not uh, have to deal with, but but you have this obligation to uh, to stand up and, and speak about these issues? 
probably a little bit in the past. Yeah, I've, 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 uh, I think now that I'm a bit more comfortable in my in my where my career's gone, and you know, I'm obviously closer to the back end of my career than I am to the to the start of it. So I suppose I'm a bit more comfortable being able to talk about stuff like that. Uh, but growing up and first first starting off, I was I was more focused on. You know, just getting my front elbow up and making sure my, my wrist position was good with the ball and, and taking every catch that was coming to me. That's all I really focused on as a, as a kid. So, um, but yeah, I think as you get older and you get more comfortable in your uh, in your position in a in a team or, or comfortable in your in your career, I suppose you can you can start talking about other things that you're passionate about. Dan, you were able to visit the Prime Minister with Peter Siddle um, around the PM's eleven this year. Did um, did you get the sense that? He was supportive of, of anything that um, that you would like to see happen socially or um, or in the cricketing world. We, to be honest, we didn't go uh, we didn't go that far into our conversations. We um, it was more about the cricket that we that we spoke about. Any mm-hmm. conversations I had uh, with the PM, or either at the either at the lodge or when he ran the drinks out during the <laughs> when we lost the wicket mm. when they lost the wicket during the match. So um, yeah, nothing, nothing. Sort of on that down that political path uh, at that stage, so yeah, so we'll, we'll he basically said there. stick to cricket, champ. Was was um, <laughs> more of a similar. I'm gonna sit on the fence here. It was. Uh, I did love you yeah, a hand we, grenade with that, admittedly. Got, yeah, no, I'm definitely sitting on the fence. No, we didn't. We didn't really talk anything political. It was all. It was actually more interesting in talking to Sids about how the Ashes went. So. I uh, yeah, I just I just was along for the ride. Mm, Prime Minister was more interested in talking to the guy with the Southern Cross tattoo on his back. What, what a surprise! Uh, <laughs> <laughs> he's he's the nicest man with a Southern Cross tattoo, though Peter Siddle. He really is. He's uh, an absolute ripper. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, yeah, and and the last thing I wanted to ask you about was your um, the artwork on your bat that you've been using in the Big Bash to, um, I guess, just to subtly keep promoting. Um, the visibility of um, of indigenous culture by having those artworks on your bat. Can you tell us a bit about them and where they came from and, and what they meant to you? Well, yeah, along the same along the same path as as wanting a um, you know been, I've been pushing for an indigenous round in the BBL. So, yeah, all around the all around the same thing. Just trying to promote the sport to to the indigenous community and um, and and promote the indigenous community to the rest of our sport. And I came across uh, Emma McNeil that did the artwork on the bat. I came across her on, on Instagram just by following Buddy Franklin and Eddie Betts and uh, a few other guys, Mitch Robinson, uh, and seeing the seeing the boots that they get painted up for the, um, for the Indigenous round in, in the AFL, and they looked absolutely fantastic. So, um, yeah, I flicked her a message and asked if she'd be interested in, in doing a bat for me, and, and she jumped at the opportunity. She loved the idea of it. Uh, yeah, and we had a chat on the phone about about the artwork itself and what that I and what I wanted and the colours and I pretty much I pretty much left it up to her and just said you go for it you, you know, I love the work that you do you go for it and do something that um, you know whatever you, whatever you think so the story itself and the artwork itself is is about my story coming coming from the country and moving to the city getting opportunity moving to the city and then being able to sort of travel around the world around the world plying my trade that's that's the the basis of the story and and. Uh, the basis of the artwork, and yeah, she's done an absolutely fantastic job. Um, and Kookaburra, uh, Kookaburra this year as well are, are going to uh, sort of gone to another level as well. So we've got the we're doing the 
not redoing the stickers, but but improving them and making them a bit closer to what the original bat is. Um, we're also running a we're going to run a competition with the with the Clontarf Clontarf Foundation and give some give some young kids the opportunity to to design their own bat stickers and. Uh, then I'll pick a winner, and that kid will get to come down and spend a week with us at the Melbourne Renegades and uh, watch training, come to a game, uh, and then that design I'll use his design or, or his or her design on my bat for that match as well. So that'll be a uh, yeah, that'll be a really cool thing. And, and Cooker have been Cooker have been absolutely awesome with their support, and, and um, yeah, really, really, really proud to be involved with with. You know, a company like that that are, that are really keen to get behind it. Yeah, that sounds super exciting for whoever gets involved with that. Yeah, hopefully be a good week. Hopefully we can play some good cricket as well and they, and they have a fantastic <laughs> time. Cricket Australia's Reconciliation Action Plan. It's the new hit single on shelves um, out this week. Grab yourself a copy, have a read, find out what they're up to. Um, thank you so much, Dan Christian. You've been a great ambassador for the Wiradjuri people and uh, for Australian cricket as well. And uh, thanks for all your work that you've done over the years. And thanks for talking to The Final Word. No worries, gents. Thanks for having me. Cheers. Hey, it's Earthboy here, and you're listening to The Final Word with Adam and Jeff. This is The Final Word with Adam Collins and Daniel Norcross, and, and thanks again to Dan Christian for taking some time out of his pretty busy schedule at this time of year with the Renegades to yeah go through a, a topic of discussion which doesn't always make headlines, but um, as we've seen with the data we were discussing in an interview about the number of Indigenous kids now playing the game around the country and the number of other different um, areas of work that Cricket Australia are working on, that we give them a kicking CA when they deserve it, whether it comes to their sort of betting advertising or whether it comes to um, the, the inaction on climate change was was a, was, a, was, a, was a criticism we had of them recently. But you think about an area like this, which is going a little bit under the radar, they're, they're doing great work and, and more power to them. Yeah, I'd, I've noticed it's a lot more around the BBL uh, with Indigenous cricketers as well. I mean, it's not before time. Uh, it's 152 years since the first Australian side yep. came to England and uh, it's not acknowledged enough, I think, by both Australians and English people. There was a little bit about it, wasn't there, in the last Ashes series. There was a little bit of a sort of recognition of what Absolutely. that, what that uh, touring team had done. There's some great... I was first alerted to it by a book by Ashley Mallett, I think it was, which is a terrific book all around that series and uh, the number of games they played and how they were uh, welcomed to various parts of the country, how they were also not. I mean, it, it, they had a tough time of it, I think, in York... Uh, but then they were welcomed with open arms in the south of England. They mm. used to do extraordinary um, events during lunch and tea. They sort of almost invented cricketainment, you know, mm. uh, if, if that book is to be believed. Uh, and they had some very good cricketers, and Australia has not uh, plundered that resource particularly well in the last 150 years. So it's good to see something redressing or, what, or, or writing an historic wrong, I guess. Yeah, and you mentioned the the big bash when Dan Christian was using the, the bat he had especially made just this week. So it's been back in the headlines again. So thanks to Dan for being part of the final word. Uh, before we wrap up today, um, as I mentioned off the top, we're going to talk a lot more about the Women's World T20 as we make our way towards the start of that tournament, which I think kicks off on the 21st of February, 20th or 21st of February. But um, the England side are on their way to Australia, as are the Indian team for a tri-series, which will be played beforehand. So the best possible warm-up, really. The, for, the, the three, for the three strongest teams. For the three strongest Again. teams. <laughs> 
Yeah, look, absolutely. So they've 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 played it off the break there. Really, they're, they're going to play each other in a tri series around Australia over the next couple of weeks. So we have got knowledge of the Australian and England uh, squads. They announced yep. them last week. So no no real surprises from an Australian perspective. Um, Annabelle Sutherland was the bolter replacing Heather Graham. Uh, probably the most interesting part of that was um, the, the the piece by Dan Bredig, which talked about um, James Sutherland shedding a tear. And there was another reference in the article from Sutherland's wife saying that she'd never seen him cry before. But anyway, that was a bit weird. But, it is a bit um, weird. I mean, my yeah. wife sees me cry on a daily basis. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> She's often inflicting the pain and misery. But I, I mean, it's, it's, seriously, that is, a, that is a little odd. But, yeah, but, yeah, but exactly. fair yeah, Annabelle's a fantastic young prospect and I suppose, um, to be fair to James Sutherland, he, part of the reason why there is this sophisticated pathway for Australian girls coming through is that I think, as he explains, he saw with his own family that his boy, Will, was going to get these great opportunities and he's obviously utilised them well now in the Victorian setup, but not so much for his daughter. And, and now, just four or five years on, she's playing for Australia and of course we all know um, what an amazing um, competition that the Big Bash has turned out to be for the women since it was initiated in 2015, 2016. You, so. you talk about uh, things that Cricket Australia do right, we've talked about with the Indigenous yep. cricketers. Uh, their attitude to women's cricket is exemplary. It's, uh, it, it's what every country aspires to. I mean, I remember being on the final word with you and Jeff at the end of the Ashes tour, I think we... Uh, yep, we, we did. We did a piece in a Sydney hotel room. No, was it your hotel in Melbourne, Melbourne I reckon that's it was. right. Yeah. And, and I'd been moved by the sight of just how many girls and boys were playing games amongst themselves. Yep. And I've watched a lot of Women's Big Bash this year, and the, the quality is just... It's great. I mean, when you, you think the number, the depth of talent in Australia and how it's getting properly used. You know, in England, we still struggle. I mean, we, you and I both still commentate on players that are starting to change now, but uh, we've seen players who've been in the setup the whole time we've been watching it. Yep. You know, England's uh, just quantity of top-level women cricketers is much smaller, and that's the same the world over. It's not just England. I mean, this is true of, of India and New Zealand, possibly slightly more scandalously in the, in the case of India, although that appears to be changing a little bit as well talk about women's IPL but Australia have done everything right with women's cricket I fear for the T20 this time round that Australia have done so well it's almost it's, it's almost like it should be you know your your greatest season that ever was that there should be an Australia A team as well yeah. in the World Cup because they are head and shoulders above everybody else. Yeah, and, and look, it's, it, they've deservedly uh, reached that point. So, I mean, there's that inflection point uh, at the World Cup, 50 over World Cup here in 2017. We all started turning around for them after that. They, uh, a lot of changes were made internally uh, as to how they were going to go about playing subsequent tournaments. We saw them dominate the, the World T20 in 2018. They dropped a group game, but, I mean, that was after they'd already qualified top of the group and, and all the rest of it. So, um, yes, th there's really no excuse. I mean, they don't just go in favourites. They go in as the overwhelming favourites to defend the title. They won in... They won in. It was Antigua, wasn't it? Uh, we were yeah. over there for that. So, Antigua 2018, when they beat England in that final. Uh, speaking of England, their, their new coach is an Australian, Lisa Kitely, who, of course... Um, Captain Australia. She, we, we we talked to her last week at Lords, where of course she she made a made a century at Lords in her in her playing career. But Lisa, who of course coaches the West Australian side in fifty over cricket and the Scorchers in the Women's Big Bash League, um, has been recruited to the England top job. So she's the first full time professional women's coach of the England women's team, of course, replacing Mark Robinson. Um, and look, very impressive. Great CV, has kind of done it all uh, as a player and as a coach before. She coached the England Academy from 
2011 to 2015. So even though it's not ideal timing that they've replaced the coach this close to a global tournament, it feels as though she kind of has a pretty good handle on this generation of England players because so many of them were sort of in the academy or, or, or in the in the system, I suppose, when, when, when she was here before. So there's one change to the England squad to that that played in Malaysia against Pakistan before Christmas or was it after Christmas? Just before Just Christmas. Before Christmas. Um, so uh, Sophie Gordon, the left arm tweaker uh, from up in Scotland, she comes out of the side and replacing her is Georgia Elwes on the basis that they want another option, seam up option in Elwes and an experienced one at that, uh, having played in the Women's Big Bash League and club cricket and all the rest of it and other Ashes tours that, that, that Georgia has been on. So that stands to reason. I think England were, were found a bit wanting in, in 2017 in the Ashes there where they were a bit spin heavy and didn't quite have the pace to complement Brunt and Shrubsole, the sort of... But they, um, but they have inflicted some blows. I mean, from an England point of view, yep. the T20 format, that sounds weird, talking about the team that's 50 over world champions, the T20 format is probably their best one. They've, they've set records, highest score records. Uh, they managed to inflict a blow in what was otherwise a dismal Ashes. Yep, uh, that last should, game at Essex, they did well. Matty yeah, Villiers on debut that night. Probably have won the game before that as well, but uh, didn't get over the line. They were a bit demoralised in yep. the, the, the game at Hove. I think they also won a game in Australia. Um, it was a Danny Wyatt. They won a couple. Inspired. Yeah, they won the last yep. two to, um, to to win. I mean, it's a long time ago now, but but they, they should go to Australia. Feeling so, I mean, they, they've got yeah. a lot of the same sort of players, and they've got a lot true. of players who played in Big Bash. Yeah, uh, they'll have had the night, of course. You've mentioned Georgia Railways. They'll have uh, Nat Siver, who's uh, did pretty well in the Big Bash, had a yep. couple of decent scores, and Danny Wyatt, who's critical. So, and it's a kind of format, isn't it? That where if one woman really has a great day, you know, Danny Wyatt can get 100 in 60 balls, uh, one of the few women out there who can. Australia, of course, have a, a few in Perry, Healy and Meg Lanning. So the issue will be, you, you expect Australia to make it to the final um, and then it's, can whichever side just put a surprise on that day. What's, what's really intriguing me about it is this is big marketing campaign, another example of Australia doing women's cricket so well, to fill the G. Yeah. Now, if they do that, and if there's if there's eighty five ninety thousand people at the MCG for the women's World Cup final, that will be one hell of an event. Because I think I reckon I, they'll do it. You know, I mean, look, maybe I would say this is a Melbourneian, but we just go to stuff. Historically, Melbourneians just go to and stuff. It's an event, and isn't it? It's a World yeah, Cup. Yeah. I mean, we we saw with the AFLW. I am stretching my memory here. I think it was January two thousand and seventeen. They had a a game at Princess Park, which holds let's say these days 25,000 or something like that first game of the of the season and they had to lock people out no one expected a crowd like that to show up at a, a regular season game to start the season. Now, if you apply that kind of logic to it and you, all the marketing they're putting into it, of course, Katy Perry is playing before the game and after the game in sort of what essentially becomes a free concert if you go along. Oh, it's Jeffrey very, Boycott will be there. Very, it's his favourite favorite artist. Is it really? Yeah. Well, there you go. It's very generously priced. I mean, I think that I haven't got the ticket prices to hand here, but it's it's nothing really compared compared to um, watching um, other international or domestic sport where you pay a lot more to go along to watch. So it, they have got uh, they've got considerable uh, tailwinds here. They, they should they've got every opportunity here to get a massive crowd. It's never going to be better than this. And if Australia make the final, I think people will just show up. People will want to be part of something. Uh, so they've given themselves the, the best possible chance of leaving an enduring legacy. The highest attended women's sporting event 
and to, the, to now was the 2000 Women's World Cup final in Pasadena in California. I think there was 85,000 people at that. Of course, that, that famous penalty shootout uh, where America won the World Cup on, on home soil. So there's a, a good reference point there because I lived in the States around that around that time as a student and um, girls' football, girls' soccer was huge after that World Cup. Well, win. I'll give you another example from, exactly, from the same sport, uh, cricket. The Lords final of 2016, yep. was it? 2017, and, and you're right, but they, they said they were going to fill Lords and everyone laughed and, at them. Yeah, and, they, and they, they filled it all except the members' enclosure. They could do nothing about the members' enclosure, unfortunately. Every public, every public space was yeah. taken in the ground and, it, and it, it stood out glaringly that the members didn't support the game. But and it was a great but the public, day. But the point is the public did, and exactly. I feel the, kind of the same way about the Melbourne public. That, like, they'll show up to this, and I'm, and I'm sure the, the Melbourne members will too. So. Just before we move off that, though, yep. we've, we've um, made a bit of an omission. Uh, we've forgotten about Sana Mir, who has not made it into the Pakistan T20 squad. Um, remarkable. Well, we were talking about Sana the other week uh, on on the Wisdom podcast about the uh, the team of the decade, and and we I think we made her our, our captain. Yeah, um, uh, not Pakistan haven't. <laughs> uh, but, but look, uh, she was the number one ranked bowler in the world last year. Uh, I know that she gave up the T20 captaincy to Bismar Maruf a, a couple of years ago now, but you've got to think the experience that Sanamir brings, having been in the setup for the better part of 15 years. She's not that old, by the way. She's only 32 or 33. Um, I'm surprised they're pensioning her off uh, now with, with a global tournament here. She's been important in big campaigns before. It's odd. We'll talk a lot more about the World T20, though, uh, Nelky, I, I assure you. We'll do a proper preview. Um, we'll get a couple of people on the show. Uh, we'll go through it in depth before that, that competition starts towards the back end of February. Uh, Dan, last item I've got on my agenda is that we have our band list. Last week, if you didn't hear, we, we went through a series of words that Dan said in 2020 need to be eliminated from the, the cricket lexicon and we, we went through a handful of those. I thought I'd, I, we had some contributions on social media which were fantastic during the week and thanks for those. I've got one to add which just came up before. No more left arm leggies, please. There is no such thing as a left arm leggy. Now, I'm absolutely cool and not just cool, I'm, I'm hugely supportive of the move that the Wizard Almanac made a couple of years ago to move away for the, for the form former tag used for left arm wrist spinners but they went to that it is what it says in the tin left arm wrist spinner or if you want left arm unorthodox but left arm wrist spinner yep. um, is, is more than acceptable and is what is now used in, in wisdom so we, we can accept that not not left arm leggy though left arm leggy how could it be a leggy it doesn't work it, it doesn't, it's just it, it, it's, it's meaningless it's like a category error so stop doing it because you know, of course we use left arm orthodox to denote the fact that it's not a left arm off spinner correct you don't say left arm off spin so you don't say left arm leggy Spin. Anybody doing that, take a long, hard look at yourself, get into the mirror, stare at yourself and say, this must not happen again. This is the 2020s. This is a decade of hope. By the way, it's a Truth and Reconciliation Commission. So... <laughs> We, you will get an absolute pardon Absolutely. as long as you repent of your sins. Which, of course, means never saying it again. Correct. Now, last week we talked about... Yeah, um, well, we talked about a few things last week. Well, we, one we, thing in particular that I wanted to return to, because people okay. love the idea that we are living in Washington Sundar's world. Yes. Um, this came up repeatedly in, 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 in the comments, that we do not live in Washington Sundar's world. We, we are, as you said at the time, we are of the left. We, we are, we're living in the world together. We are. We're exactly living in the world together. So Washington Sundar's world, it's an alternative universe that I frankly don't want to be a part of. <laughs> Similarly, if you come across a tweet that says it's just Washington Sundar doing Washington Sundar things, <laughs> again, you don't have to be aggressive about it, but you need to shut it down. You need to... Just Washington Sundar uh, things. Just, I mean, what is Washington Sundar things? Since when has Washington Sundar become an adjective? It can't be. 
It can't be an adjective. It is a, it is a man's name. I'm, I will not allow it. I, I get it. It was kind of quirky once in, like, when Carlos Brathwaite did it. But it's no longer. It's no longer that. You're not in his world. He's not doing his things. Those aren't things he's doing. He's playing cricket. That's what's happening with Washington Sunder. I've got a couple more. One, Please. One's inspired by my wife. Um, she hates the phrase going downtown. Um, she, I wonder she's sitting in the next room. Whether she can hear this or not, I hope not. I'm looking forward to where we go next. It was well. It was it was the allusion to oral sex that particularly upset her. Um, and you know, no, and, and sometimes I guess I mean it would very much depend on who it is who's going downtown. But um, you know, Nick Madison going downtown—that's not something we want to be thinking of too much, or even Washington Sunday for that matter. Um, there's a the one that kept cropping up from your correspondence and has been brought to my attention many times. Well, it's maximum, and it's even more outrageous. Shane Warne did it the other day. Maximu. Ooh, oh, the fuck Maximu. is that? Yeah, well, what, what, Sorry? what, what, what the fuck <laughs> is that? Yes, it's, well, it was brought in with the European T20 League. Um, there was a very fruity, I want to say he was a Dutch commentator, but I'm not quite sure. Went, Maximu! <laughs> um, which was sort of amusing when done in that voice. Not so amusing when done in Shane Warne's voice. Not so amusing when done in, in basically any commentator's voice. It's not a maximum. We know why. I don't need to explain the rules of time and space. It's not a maximum because in the laws of cricket, you can keep going. It, it's a six. That's what it is. It's cleared the rope or the sponge, if you prefer, or the boundary. It's, you could even say a boundary six, if you want to sound really strange, like a sort of South African saying, welcome to this telecast. They're the only people who have telecasts, by the way. Do you still have telecasts? We don't call it a telecast anymore, no. but I feel like we should. I, I find There's it some retro... Nice. Um... Yeah, I mean, this, this, by the way, this thread is about things you can bring back. So I'm not just about banning. Don't get me wrong. I'm not some kind of, like, crazed nanny statist lunatic mm. who is just about banning. I'm, I'm up for replacement. A telecast that is simulcast is my best kind of telecast. A simulcast telecast. We can do that. Yeah, let's... let's so, for example, when Sky happen. are taking the Supersport coverage, they are indeed simulcasting the telecast from Supersport. That's beautiful. Isn't it just? It is, as long as one of them... When you're on the BT, next time you're doing BT, yeah. you will be doing exactly that. I, I, I implore you. I will be civil casting the telecast. I, I, I implore you to use that form of words at some stage. <laughs> I know that you're on, the, on air in the middle of the night and it's hard yakka, it's five in the morning and you're watching a Big Bash game or whatever it is, but I feel like you've got this club in the bag. Well, I might, I might bring that one out, actually, uh, for, for the very reason that it would act as a counterpoint to somebody saying, well, he's got a great pole there with the new seed. Yeah. Uh, the batsman failed to execute his skills while trying to go downtown, <laughs> uh, which would, of course, well, be one, one you, of you... the most repulsive phrases <laughs> ever heard. <laughs> the other one you mentioned before about space and time and, and so forth, and when, when you hear a commentator referring to, and I've been guilty of this, so, you know, hand up here, that's the best possible start or that's the worst possible start when it seems like... 30 for 3 or 3 for yep. 30 or, you know, the best possible start there, 100 off 12 overs. Well, it's not, is it? It's not the best or worst possible start there indeed. No, it's not. Yeah. The best possible start from from that position with 432 <laughs> for none. <laughs> um, not allowing for nobles and wides, frankly. So, you know, perfection is impossible in this game. Mm. It's, part of the, it's part of the maximum thing. It's why we love cricket because there is, there is no defined limit. I mean, it, you know, I'm afraid it sort of reminds me of, of why I'm irritated by the Nat West slogan, no boundaries. You can't put no boundaries <laughs> around the outside of a cricket ground, you know, just beyond the boundary. The, the cricket 
has boundaries. That's that's what it's defined by the boundaries, for God's sake. Anyway, <laughs> but yeah, I, I sort of get that. I, another one that, that I want to get rid of um, in any way, shape, or form. What does anyone mean by this? In any way, shape, or that form? That comes up a lot. It really does. I, I think it's some a lot of wasted words, there, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. But you know, it doesn't say. It, it, it doesn't mention in any way, shape, form, smell, taste, or touch. Mm. You know, if you're going to do it you've got to keep going uh, at which point you'll soon realise that it's meaningless and you'll hopefully stop doing it can I just add one descriptor which seems to come up a lot these days vaudeville when something's described oh. as vaudeville you hear it a lot don't you is it supposed to sort of refer to like kind of comedy cricket like I think it's Benny just Hill theme tune on the yeah, yeah precisely I mean it's, it's yeah. anyway just, just, just one word there that I, I want to add vaudeville's got to go and another one, and this is for aspiring commentators out there. I know many of you are listening to this thinking, Christ, if they can do it, anyone can. Um, and you're not far wrong. Disappointed. No one is ever disappointed at getting out. They're incandescent with rage. <laughs> They're questioning their life choices. They're wondering why they ever played cricket in the first place. Washington Sundar is not disappointed. He is anxious, nervous about where his next pay packet's coming from, <laughs> concerned about what his teammates are going to say, what the coach is going to say. He is not disappointed nice place to leave it Dan it's been great having you on the show the last two weeks you're, you're going to be back on soon enough I, I'm certain that there'll be I, I reckon I've that I reckon the next time you'll be on the final word is when when Rach has had this baby and I need to take a week or two off you and Jeff can talk down the line and oh. and, I, and I'm sure you'll do a, 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 a sterling job as you have in the last two weeks of course uh, you'll be on the Cricket Social and the BBC with, you? with me this weekend we'll yeah. be there jibbering around as, as the England and the African it's, can I give it a little plug it's, I, I know it's, it's outrageous and self-serving to do so but uh, the cricket social uh, some people don't really understand what's happening in, in England when we do it so I've, we've had lots of uh, tweets saying typical BBC sending everybody to South Africa no they don't send us to South Africa <laughs> it's we a windowless sit, room it's we a sit windowless in here. room <laughs> new broadcasting house in central London but um, I, I'm growing to quite fond of the format because yeah, there are some obvious things that you, you can't do so we're not commentating the game but you get the opportunity to do some deep dives don't you I mean We've had some really fascinating contributors come in. Paul Farbrace has been on. And you get to... When you're commentating a game of cricket, perforce, somebody only gets like 45 seconds. You know, Phil Tufton gets 45 seconds mm. between a ball. And then you try to try to continue the conversation. Well, in this kind of formless, live, as it's happening kind of world, you do get to, to go quite deep. You do. You mentioned Paul Farbrace. We had a conversation about, about Ben Folks, which, I mean, you, you wouldn't normally think that it would be riveting radio for heart but it kind of was because the insight that he's able to provide about Johnny Bairstow and the backstory and why he insisted on keeping it you know you can't really get that in a in a 20 minute stint on commentary like you're talking about or even indeed a, a podcast where you might have like an agenda there's no agenda so it's, it's quite yeah it, it is quite good the fun the agenda is we've got to get through seven and a half hours yeah. of talking yeah and, and, we, and yeah, I mean, indeed final word listeners would remember Morris Duffy, who came on the show uh, to talk with us about Stephen Smith, his, uh, his uh, confidant and life coach and, and a number of other things. Mind coach, I think, is his formal title. He, he went on there as well after a long conversation about player states of mind and, and so forth. So, yeah, BBC Social. I feel like we've just done an advertorial for the BBC. Not that they need it, but no. you'll be on there and, and at different intervals I will be as well. You can, of course, stay in touch with us in the usual way, finalwordcricket at gmail.com, an inbox which we do check from time to time and we try to before each show. Um, the Patreon page, I mentioned it earlier, but patreon.com forward slash the final word if you want to be part of the Nerd Pledge game. We'd love to have you along. Twitter, your Norcross Cricket. 
I'm Collins Adam, Jeff's Jeff Lemon Sport, uh, to Wisdom Cricket Monthly and the Night Watchman and the team uh, out there at the Oval. Thank you so much for being uh, part of our team. Likewise, futuretalent.com.au. Go back to earlier parts of the show or look in, click in the show notes if you want to, if you missed our, our uh, descriptions earlier, we'll make sure we include in the show notes um, how you can access the offers they uh, are, are providing through their relationship with the final word. Jeff will be back from holiday next week, back in his chair, down the line, talking to me on the final word. Thanks again, Dan. It's been a lot of fun. It's been an absolute pleasure. And to the person who missed Jeff Lemon, don't worry, he's, he's nearly back. <laughs> Thanks for being part of it. Talk to you next week. I had to go about it, write it out.